These are dark times, there is no denying. Tell me where he is. Our world has faced no greater threat than it does today. But you can't fight this war on your own, Mr. Porter. infiltrated the ministry you have nothing to fear if you have nothing to hide the longer we stay here the stronger he gets i must be the one to kill harry potter let's get off the streets get somewhere safe let's say we get undercover before someone murders him that way they won't know which harry potter is the real one Nobody else is going to die. Not for me. We have to do something. You think I don't know how this feels? You don't know how it feels! Your parents are dead. You have no family. He's after you, Mr. Potter. Tell me where he is. You really don't stand a chance. I got him! Help me! I have seen your heart, and it is This podcast is sponsored in part by Benjamin Hart. That's me! And yours truly, Zach Arnold. And by participation from listeners like you. So let's tune in to another episode of... IPC. 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 The Intergalactic Peace Coalition Podcast. All the galaxies, all for you. Hold on to your broomsticks, because we're headed back to the Wizarding World for this episode. It's another fantastic time on the Intergalactic Peace Coalition podcast. Thank you for tuning in with us this evening. My name is Zach. For those of you who have never listened to the program, we've got an awesome awesome slate of stuff to talk about and an awesome all-star studded cast to do the talking about it it's going to be a lot of fun but obviously i'm not going to do all this talking by myself uh we've only had one episode of ipc where one of us has gone solo and that was over 150 episodes ago and uh, hopefully it'll be another 150 60 something like that before that ever happens again so i'm going to bring in my co-host and my good buddy it's mr benjamin hart how are you tonight man i am doing okay my voice is kind of wavering, as you probably can tell already, but uh, I'm here, and I'm glad to be talking more Harry Potter, and it's going to be a lot, a lot of fun, and we're, we're, we're in the home stretch now. It's getting close. We are. But uh, we've still got a lot to just talk about. 
Yeah, that's for sure. And uh, it's probably more than either of us can really cover properly. So back again, he's been with us for the last few Harry Potter episodes and some other various fun that we've had this late summer, early fall. Uh, Back again one more time. It's our resident Harry Potter nerd, Mr. Dominic Jones. How are you doing? Hey, guys. It's great to be back. I, I, you couldn't get rid of me. They, they tried, and I just kept showing up, and they're like, fine, you can be on the show, but you have to do Shakespeare. That's, how, that's the only way you can stay now. And uh, uh, yep. well, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. But I'm so excited <laughs> to talk about uh, Deathly Hallows Part 1. Yeah, so I... Jeez, I'm not going to give away too many <laughs> thoughts or, or spoilers because we're, we're going to go super in-depth about that in just a little bit here. But, man, if this is the home stretch, I'm really looking forward to what both parts are going to entail because uh-huh. it, was, it, was, it was a fun ride and it's only halfway done. So oh, uh, yeah. part one tonight and part two next week here on IPC. So be sure to tune in to get a taste of both elements but before we dive in head first and talk about everything that this movie has to offer a couple of pieces of news that we need to just dish out right off the top here uh we have gotten confirmation that the avengers 4 trailer will be coming by the year's end Woo! according according to uh ign they reported from kevin feige that it is due to come out before the end of the year uh let me see Eric Weber said, here we go. Three quick questions, answers, uh, Avengers 4 trailer before the end of the year. Uh, Namor could make an appearance, still deciding if and when. Oh, and here's some other tidbit. Guardians 3 status is now officially, quote-unquote, unhold. Hasn't that that been what it's been since the the James Gunn thing happened? Like, I didn't think that was... I feel like it has. Yeah. And Unofficially, just, yes, I think we've had a lot of rumors and stuff said that hey, it's moving forward with the, with James Gunn's script and all this kind of stuff. I think this is the the first official word we've heard about. Okay, this is on hold; it's not happening at the moment. Okay. I mean, I don't, I don't think any of those things really surprise me all that very much, to be honest. No. Like the the holiday season is the perfect time to get people excited for next May. Yeah, and. To, to have Guardians 3 on hold, like like you said, it's not really all that surprising based on what we've gotten uh, from the tidbits that we, we do know about what's going on behind the scenes. Obviously, we don't know the whole thing, but that really wasn't a surprise. But uh, this this possibility of, of Namor showing up, this mm-hmm. could be introduced into the MCU. What do you guys make of that intel? I, um, I, I, I don't know who that don't. is. <laughs> what? What? I don't know who that is, so I couldn't... Well, I, okay, I'm going to drop on you what little knowledge I know about Namor. I know he's basically Marvel's Aquaman. Ah. So, okay. but I think he's more of an anti-hero. Like, from people that have described him, like he's been kind of at odds with the Avengers at some times in the comics. So, I'm not sure what his whole deal is. I know he's an Atlantean, I think. Of course, he's got the whole yep. deal... Um, so it's been a lot of talk about him. Of course, you've got, got the Aquaman movie coming up pretty soon from DC. So I would think that, that Marvel wouldn't wait a little while because it would feel like they were kind of copying DC, even though I don't know in relation to the comics, like what those two characters, well, they do copy each other a lot. Like, come on now. But like in the scope of the films it should be interesting. I don't know. Um, but I mean, he's saying here that it could happen. So, you know. 
they got a lot of stuff coming on. They just confirmed today, I think, that Black Widow and the Eternals, are they set release dates for those films. So, I mean, it all ties in together. And being that Guardians 3 is kind of out of the picture now, like, they could focus on other things. Maybe maybe move Namor up now. So here's here's another little interesting tidbit that I've been doing just from a quick Google search. He he is an Atlantean. He is the son of he's he's the mutant son of a sea captain who fell in love with a uh, a, a, an Atlantean woman. So Um, he he was basically Aquaman. He was he was prepossessed with with similar traits, similar qualities. Yes, but he actually has some tie-ins to the Defenders. Oh, apparently there was a series where Namor serves as the CEO of Oracle Incorporated, which was dedicated to reducing pollution, and his corporation provided the stage for the return of the Iron Fist. Oh, so he uh, he he was apparently integrated into the Defenders for a time while he was the frontman for uh, for that. But he is also served alongside Doctor Strange, the Hulk, and the Silver Surfer. So he's got he's got some experience on both fronts as far as the cinematic side of things as well as the TV side of things. But a lot of the pictures, not going to lie, he looks very, very similar to Aquaman. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So, I mean, I'm, I'm intrigued just to see what Marvel can do with Atlantean life because... Obviously, we're getting a taste of what DC is going to do with it with Jason Momoa and Aquaman. If they wanted to do a counterpunch, I'd be curious to see what that counterpunch looked like. Um, not necessarily saying it's going to be, you know, better or worse, but, you know, maybe different. And uh, I don't have any problem with different and being somebody that grew up a marine biology major um, for a while. And then I switched to journalism. Big change. Um but being being interested in underwater life like this, I can't get enough. So, yeah, by all means, give me Namor. Give me everything you can on Atlantis and uh, let me let me see what see what you can do. Yeah, that's definitely a weirder side of the MCU that we haven't seen quite quite yet. Like we've we've done the cosmic stuff and we've done the earthly stuff, but doing the weirder stuff that's on Earth like Wakanda, I, I would like to see more stuff like that. It's a good point, because Wakanda's kind of a uh, mythical land, a mythical area. Right. So why not why not visit the mythical Atlantis as well? Huh. Mm, yeah. Interesting concept. Um. So, what timeline are you guys expecting this Avengers four trailer? I'm thinking Thanksgiving. Yeah, that seems about right. I mean, Thanksgiving early or early December. I just sort of had a look at what's coming out in December. Uh, there are several big movies. You've got Aquaman, as you guys have been, have you guys referenced. There's Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Uh, there's Bumblebee, and then there's uh, Mary Poppins Returns, which Disney seems to be betting a lot on. Um, three of those are are huge genre pieces, so you would hit that same. Uh, you know, when when that audience that's going to see those movies, they would probably like to see an Avengers trailer with those mm-hmm. movies, especially. Uh, obviously, the trailer will debut online first. This isn't one of those things when where it will launch with a movie. Obviously, everybody will have seen it. Everybody who really wants to see it will have seen it by the time these movies are in theaters. But, you know, you could make a case for any of them. I mean, Spider-Man, that is a Marvel character, even if, even if it's not an MCU uh, movie. So they, they, you could certainly make a case that, you know, 
Marvel has a little bit more of a vested interest in, in having something with that. Like they want all of their properties to, su- to succeed. Aquaman and Bumblebee, maybe they want to uh, remind the audiences to go see that. What a, what a, what a good superhero movie actually looks like in uh, DC and, and the Transformers track record. And then Mary Poppins uh, hits that. Uh, that at other audience that does that won't necessarily look up an Avengers trailer and watch it over and over again online. Uh, it will be a, kind of a, a reminder for them. So yeah, Thanksgiving, early December, sometime in there. And then it will run with all these movies that come out uh, over the Christmas season that are all trying to see if, uh, if they can cash in on a little bit of that star Wars magic. Yeah. Star and Wars speaking of star magic. Wars, like a lot of people are, and, and myself included was kind of, thinking like oh it'd be great to get an episode nine trailer like this thanksgiving around there like that would be cool it would be it would be cool it's probably it's probably not a good timeline for it i mean the film's still like in production plus like i think it would send the wrong message because like people seeing a trailer at thanksgiving would say oh there's another trailer star wars coming at christmas that's (laughs) not gonna happen this year people yeah um a lot of people are gonna get that news way too late so i think they could take advantage of that. I go, okay, let's do, let's focus on Avengers because May's not that far away, really, truly. So, like, they could really cash in on that and go hype up Avengers, and then we'll get to Star Wars eventually. Yeah, and they're they're not going to finish shooting Episode Nine probably till early next year, so they wouldn't even have have a full movie to pull from. And and it seems yeah, to be with right. these with these big superhero movies, um, unless or these big sort of uh, blockbuster movies, unless it's something really special, um. They're not gonna. They don't cut trailers until they have all the footage available to them. So I, I suspect uh, celebration, celebration Chicago. That's where you'll see episode the first episode nine trailer. Just Which like I'm totally cool with. Oh yeah, same here, same here. Um, that that Thanksgiving trailer uh, in 2014 was fun, but that was because it was a really special event. And also episode seven had a had a different time, a slightly different timeline than episode nine. Like waited like four years for that movie. <laughs> yeah, well, and and in a different timeline, different. Um, a different production timeline. I mean, like it was done shooting by the time that trailer came out. Whereas episode yeah. nine, likely, yeah. you know, late January, early February is probably what they're shooting for. Although there's been some rumblings of, of uh, big scheduling changes on, on that, on that movie. So maybe they, maybe JJ had a breakthrough and something else is, is in the works, but uh, uh, that's not what we're talking about. I switched gears uh, there. Sorry. <laughs> no. But there is some Star Wars-related news that we can go ahead and jump into while we're on that note. Um, Eric Weber, the man who broke the news about what's going on with Avengers 4, was also the one to break the news about what's going on in the galaxy far, far away. Not too surprisingly, attention seems to be completely focused on Episode 9 and the new TV series that Jon Favreau is working on, The Mandalorian. Uh, she confirmed that the Boba Fett movie is 100% dead, Kathleen Kennedy did, and that they are 100% focusing on the Mandalorian. Yeah. Not really not really surprising on either front, nah, don't you no. think? As as soon as like once the the James Mangold thing came out and once that wasn't officially confirmed, it seemed that there was something something was afoot with that movie. Uh then everything that happened with Solo happened and then there were all, was all the reporting about the possibility of, uh, or about what the future of the standalone films uh, is or was, uh, and then I think the, uh, the 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 writing was on the wall when they announced the Mandalorian being their TV show because I don't think uh, I don't think they they trust uh, 
general audiences enough to be able to differentiate between the guy with the T-shaped helmet on their TV screen and the guy with the T-shaped helmet on their movie screen. So I, I think uh, if, if there's any hope for, for future Boba Fett stories, uh, at least uh, on, on screen and live action, it's in The Mandalorian. I think that's a, a semi-decent possibility that that could happen. Um, but otherwise, it seems to it seems that that we are not getting the Boba Fett movie anytime soon. Which yeah, and and, and I, I think it just makes sense from the standpoint of like from a certain point of view, like if you can't get butts and seats to see the Han Solo movie, like who's to say like how can you possibly make a Boba Fett movie work? Where you know he's popular with the nerds, but like. A lot of people don't know who Boba Fett is and don't know what his deal is. So, like, he's a pretty niche character. So, but trying you, to make a movie about him, I think, but is a bit sketchy of an idea. You, but you could make that same case about Rogue One, and that was very successful. Like, th- those are all new characters that nobody had ever heard of. Um, and I think you could probably have made a similar case that you know Boba Fett. Yeah, he's known in in certain circles. But to the larger audience, it's it's less of a less of a, a familiar face than Han Solo. Yeah, and so they could almost sell it as a new character uh, and a new story just set within the Star Wars universe. And then for those of us that care, there is that backstory and uh, you yeah. know, connections to the other films. So I, 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 I think, think I, I think I mostly agree with it. I think I think my, my main point is that I think from a Disney executive point of view, that may be a factor. But Not they're, the, but they're I mean, moving. and we know the real factor was with Solo was the marketing and the release date and all that jazz that came with that movie that really got brought it down. And so, I think I think that more than than anything else is why they're they're canceling this this movie. I think the the fact that they realized with Solo that two movies a year is not something they're that the audiences are ready for. Uh, and so I, I I do believe that the plan going forward post episode nine was to do two movies a year, and and you would get uh, a standalone, a Ryan Johnson movie, in, and a Ryan Johnson movie in one year, then a standalone and a David Benioff, DB Weiss movie in the next year, and then flip flop like that uh, going forward until they were ready to uh, either announce what came after the Ryan films and the Benioff and Weiss films, or ready to go into episodes ten, eleven, twelve. Uh, but now it seems that they're just going to stick to one a year and and probably bounce back and forth between the Ryan films and the the Benioff and Weiss films, which will be which is it will will be interesting to see how they how they pull that off. But that's mm-hmm. that's for them to figure out. That's uh, something uh, we'll we'll be watching as as a certain Sith Lord would say with great interest. Yeah, exactly. And I think, I mean, as far as personal opinions on this go, like as big of a Boba Fett fan as I am, like. I don't care. <laughs> like, I, I, I like I've heard about this movie so much that I've just stopped caring. Like it's canceled. Like whatever. Like I'm more looking forward to the Mandalorian now. Yeah. I'm more looking forward to getting new characters with new stories and leaving Boba Fett in the dust at least for now and just leaving that character. And maybe one day we'll get a Boba Fett movie. Maybe we'll get a TV show. Maybe he'll be in the Mandalorian or something like that. But for right now. I like what's coming down the pipe, and I'm really not disappointed by this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sam. So here's a little speculation that I want to pitch to you guys before we go to our next and last article for the evening. I've seen uh, from a couple of different rumor mills that I'm connected with that this cancellation of the Boba Fett movie potentially increases the likelihood that we may see that bounty hunter in 
the Mandalorian. What's your take? I think it opens up the possibility more. Um, I don't. I don't know. I think Favreau was started writing that show at a time when the Boba Fett movie was at the, if not a reality, it was a serious possibility. And so I think he was probably told, stay away from this character for now. Now that the movie seems to not be happening and they've chosen to focus on the Mandalorian TV show, I think, uh, assuming we get a season two, that's more likely where we could see Boba Fett. I could almost see a situation where Boba Fett shows up in the last episode. Almost, almost, and this is maybe not the best example to draw just based on the quality of the show, but almost like the, the Enterprise showing up at the end of uh, season one of Discovery. Of, of star of the other star franchise um mm-hmm. I, you know I, I enjoyed discovery fine but i don't think it's it, i think the mandalorian for should should aim a little bit higher <laughs> than than that uh and uh, but i it, it could be a situation like that where the series uh runs through a, a first season with this new character and at the end just when you think it's going one direction in walks fat and that's our cliffhanger that's what brings us back a year later for season two yeah, I feel the same way. I feel like there's definitely a possibility, but like I, I'm not going to be disappointed if Boba Fett doesn't show up, but I'm definitely going to be wary of like that could happen. That's a definite thing that could happen in this series that you know you could say you know, and it doesn't have to happen in season one or even the first episode. Like they could wait a couple seasons and then do it. But uh, there's definitely like they've set up some stuff in the books with you know that dude that has his armor apparently and stuff like that. Like I'm wondering like if they do bring Boba back, how they're going to do it. And I hope it's not just the Mandalorian sitting in a bar and then, Hey, I'm Boba Fett. He just walks up, like do something interesting with that. Like, you know, he's been in the star like pit, like do something interesting, do something that's unexpected. Yeah. I I mean, go, go for it, Zach. I mean, I was just thinking Tim Morrison's probably about the right age that, if we wanted to bring him back, yeah, uh, he could he could play he could play like an older Boba potentially. Certainly, and and Boba's life would not be would not have been easy. I mean, just being eaten by the Sarlacc alone uh, would not have been been an easy uh, part of portion of his life. So even if Tem is a little bit older or looks a little bit older than most people the age of Boba Fett is, uh, then but it would make sense because he's just been through hell and back so he looks older and more grizzled and i think you know tem could certainly pull that off no problem totally it'll be it'll be interesting to see if they do end up bringing this character back one other iconic character and this is our last topic for the evening before we get to the movie there's been negotiations about a a certain franchise getting rebooted but in those talks a certain iconic character within that franchise has not really been discussed that much, or at least the actor associated with that character. Um, Disney has reportedly been talking to the writers of the Deadpool movies, Paul Wernick and Rhett Reese, to bring in a brand new concept for the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise to closer base it on the classic Disneyland attraction. However, during those talks, Johnny Depp's name has not really been included. Do you guys feel like that would be good or bad for this franchise, given how much Captain Jack Sparrow is a part of this current franchise? I think I think they should let this franchise lie for a little while. I think it's I think it's overstayed its welcome. Um, 
I, I don't know. I, I think after that third movie, I think they should have hung up the uh, the proverbial captain's hat and boots and all that and just let it be. And then if they had let it be then, maybe now they would be considering bringing it, bringing it back. Um, I, I just think... Um, I think Disney recognizes that 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 Johnny Depp is not necessarily the most uh attractive uh, box office draw these days for a whole variety of reasons not the least of which being his uh offset behavior and I so I suspect that that's probably part of the reason they're not going ahead with a, a just a straight up Pirates 6 I guess even though they seem to be setting one up at the end of Pirates 5 um and I I think that's probably why they're considering rebooting it but I don't know if there's I don't know if there's interest in that franchise, period. And I don't know if there's interest in it without those classic characters. So I, if if I were them, I would send uh, Wernick and, and Reese around Disneyland, have them pick some other ride, and tell them to write a movie based <laughs> off that, and leave Pirates of the Caribbean alone for a decade before trying to to reboot it. And I think. I think if Disney's smart, they'll rec- they they should recognize that uh, if they do that, if they leave it, let it lie for ten years, then they can do, have a have a sort of Force Awakens esque uh, return, where even mm-hmm. if they don't bring back Johnny Depp or um, the other two, <laughs> what are their names? Kira Knightley and Orlando Bloom. Yeah, perhaps? Th- them too. Uh, if if they, if they don't bring if, even if they don't bring anybody back, they can still sort of make it the triumphant return of the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise ten years later. Then maybe they have a better have a better box office return rather than continuing to try and revamp it and as it seems right now, kind of driving it into the ground or, or, or running yeah. it running it ashore. I think maybe to <laughs> try and uh, try and, running uh, it ashore up yeah. on a sandbar. Yeah, something like that. Something like that. Uh, like run aground. Yeah. Here's here's the here's the interesting thing about the Pirates franchise is it doesn't really have any competition. Uh. There's there's nothing out there that makes you say, oh, we need to quit making these because somebody else is making pirate movies as well, and they're conflicting with one another. Nobody else really takes a look at the pirate world all that much. The only thing I can really think of is NBC's failed series Blackbeard from a few years ago. Mm. And that that there's a reason that failed because it was crap. But there's really just not a whole lot out there that looks at pirates and and old England and swashbuckling adventures and and the kinds of things that Pirates of the Caribbean appeals to. And we may have mentioned this during our Pirates of the Caribbean franchise, you know, our our story arc when we talked about it a, a, a maybe a few months ago, is there's just there's nothing competing with it and so they keep dragging it out and milking it for what it's worth because they're the only one in the business and as long as they are the only ones putting out pirate movies they're going to be the only ones making money off of pirate movies so i feel Mm -hmm. like a reboot or a continuation of the current franchise is inevitable because people obviously enjoy pirate movies enough to keep going back and watching them you just need somebody willing to keep making them I I wonder. I'm sort of wondering if our culture has kind of moved on from that sort of uh, from from pirate storytelling, or the or at least the romanticized version of pirate storytelling. Um, yeah. I think I think Curse of the Black Pearl, the original film, came around at the right time because it recaptured because because it sort of was like a little bit of a nostalgia trip for that 
more a more swashbuckling era. Um, and then those other films were successful because they followed up on it and they had the same characters. And I think I think now audiences are going to see Pirates of the Caribbean. I don't know if they would show up for other Pirates movies. And I wonder if taking away that most famous icon of the series, I wonder if there's still that draw for for audiences. If it just becomes, you know, what is Pirates of the Caribbean without Captain Jack Sparrow? I don't know. And if, if yeah. you take that away and it just becomes another pirates pirate movie, I don't know if there's that if if there's an appetite for that romanticized vision of pirates these days uh, that there may have once been. So I, I, and and you you point to the the failure of that other series, um, and you know I'd never watched it. I don't know what other problems it might have had from a story or acting or directing or whatever point of view, um, but. Like you said, nobody else is making them, and I kind of wonder if that's because nobody there 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 aren't enough people that really want to see them. Yeah, and I think <clears throat> just from my standpoint, I think like it's kind of arduous. Like, like I'm not someone that's like, oh, Hollywood and these reboots, darn, you know, no creativity. Like, reboots have been happening literally for decades, like from since the dawn of film. Like, that's nothing new. So, like. Anything getting rebooted, like, it's kind of inevitable unless it's something, like, that's really, really, like, timeless and can grow, like, you know, Star Wars, even Jurassic Park or whatever. Like, stuff that can be added onto instead of just rebooted right. again and again. So, with Pirates, like, yeah, yeah, you could see that happening, but, like, the last movie came out last year, 2017, Dead Man Till No Tales. Mm-hmm. Like, that's fresh, like, and I know it wasn't as successful. It wasn't as great a movie as it probably could have been. Um, my personal opinion is it was kind of a, it was headed in the right direction as far as like a kind of return to form after some pretty abysmal sequels, in my opinion. So, like, and I understand, like, Johnny Depp's pretty troublesome these days. A lot of people are not a fan of his. And I understand, like, trying to get him out of there and, you know, doing those movies like that, those films are so lean so heavily on Jack Sparrow so heavily like they gave him his own movie the fourth one is Jack Sparrow's movie like that's how much they love that character and that's how much they know people love that character so like trying to do another one without him I understand this problem but like wait a little while don't do this next year or whenever like don't try to reboot it now like let this go and I think maybe Dead Men Tell No Tales was not just like, oh, this was a bad movie that people didn't like. I think it may have just been like, people are just over this franchise. Like, let it lie for a little while, let it sit, and then in 10 years, maybe, come back to Pirates of the Caribbean and, you know, you can do something else with that. Because they did set up a nice sequel there, so they could do something with that, or they could reboot it or whatever. But, like, I don't know. It's just, it's very arduous and it's very just like, this again like come on guys like just just let this go for a while yeah and and when you look at the box office of of the series uh when it when adjusted for uh inflation like those last two movies did not make anywhere near as much as the original trilogy and that fifth one was a significant decline so i i just i don't know how much appetite there is for more pirates of the caribbean one or just more pirates in general so uh 
I don't know. We'll we'll see what this this new one is. I mean, they got the Deadpool crew, so they it, it could well wind up being something completely different. And if they do reboot the series, that's what I hope they do is that they don't try to have Captain Jack 2.0, but rather maybe even make it kind of Deadpool. Maybe it's just Deadpool as a pirate. You get yeah, Ryan Reynolds. But not even, just do that. But not even that. Just like do something a little bit more Deadpool esque. That's a little bit more. Wink, winking at the camera, tongue in cheek kind like of thing. A, like a men in tights, but pirates. Sort of, yeah. You so, do something, head in that direction anyway. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see his ring. Oh, that's me. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I got a little sidetracked. My family is out of town for the weekend, and they're sending me a whole bunch of pictures. Just oh. reminding reminding me that I had to stay home and work this weekend. <laughs> oh, jeez. Kind of, kind of mad cruel. at them because they're they're hitting up all the touristy places that I love to go to and trying out new places and like they went through like this drive through animal experience I guess and uh, an ostrich stuck its head into their car while they were driving <laughs> through wow. so they're having fun and I'm over here podcasting with you guys so sorry. Oh, see, I see, I see, I see how you how you truly feel about us. <laughs> Sorry, it's all about the it's all about the Sorry. way you word things, isn't it? Yeah. No, I'm I am I am having fun, and I'm looking forward to to everything that we've got going on. I mean, if they do more pirates, I'll probably still end up watching it. If Boba Fett does or does not appear in the Mandalorian, I'm still probably going to watch it. <laughs> and goodness knows, I'm just waiting on the edge of my seat for whatever they're going to do with Avengers Four. So. Uh, trailer teaser uh, you could drop an image not even a poster just just a screen cap from the movie and it would be the source of speculation for a couple of weeks so i mean it's it's a very it's still a very exciting time for movies in general but even when there's a little bit of a a downtime if you will for for movies uh, there's still plenty of stuff to talk about, and that's the that's one of my favorite things about this podcast is, you know, when when we are kind of in a bit of a lull. I mean, yeah, we just had Venom, we just had Halloween, but those really aren't the types of movies that we're going to talk about here on this show, anyways. Maybe an episode of R.I.P.C., but I I don't know about the regular programming because after a while, nah. Anyways, <laughs> tonight. We get to talk about Deathly Hallows Part 1, and, and Don, correct me if, if I'm wrong, but I believe this movie came out in 2010, is that right? 2010, yeah, that sounds right. In 2010, so we're about eight years removed from it, but we still get to have kind of a, a flashback Friday, if you will. We've been doing the Harry Potter franchise off and on for basically the entire year. Um, we've been we've been diving into into the Potter universe, and we've been diving into Middle-Earth, we just finished up a Hobbit trilogy, which is available on Podbean right now. And uh, after we're done with Deathly Hallows, we may go into the Fantastic Beasts movies. That may be like something that's on the horizon for us, so stay tuned for that. But tonight, we get to talk about Deathly Hallows Part 1. And um, I just want to start with, with spoiler-free impressions, you know, your overall thoughts. Because Ben and I, we we just watched it for the very first time. Dominic, you've probably seen it several times over, but I'm curious, like, what you thought of it, like, the first time you saw it. So let's just go with with what our initial impressions were whenever it was the first time that we saw it. Yeah, I I, I don't I don't know how much I really remember what I thought of it the first time. 
Um, because by the time it came out, uh, you know, my, my sort of Harry Potter fandom peaked in 20, uh, 2007, 2007, uh, with when the Deathly Hallows book came out. So I could certainly talk more about my reaction to the book, but when the, when the movies, so for the, all the movies after Order of the Phoenix, there, I didn't really have a, a real rush to go out and, and see them. Uh, and I kind of overcorrected when the first Fantastic Beasts movie came out and like was like, I need to be at the first screening no matter what, <laughs> you know. Uh, and uh, and so this one, I, I struggle to sort of remember what I what I thought of it. I do remember sort of coming out of it going, all right, I think they did a, a good job in terms of splitting this story in half. Um, you know, obviously the um, the second part, which we, we won't we'll talk about next week. There's a really sort of is very action heavy. There's an emphasis on 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 the culmination of the series and the culmination of this war. Um, I think sort of the best way to sum it up, uh, there was a there was a two man show that I don't know if it's still touring, but it's been to Toronto a couple of times. It's called Potted Potter. And the premise is uh, it's these two guys on stage and they will reenact uh, all seven Harry Potter books in 70 minutes. And it's hilarious. It's hysterical. I, I went and saw it with, with my brother several years ago, and we just cackled all the way through because it was so good. Uh, but the way they described the Deathly Hallows, because at one point the guy's like, all right, we're moving on to Deathly Hallows. And, he's like, and the other one's like, yeah, so I just read the book. And if I was going to make this into a movie, I would split it into two parts. Because I noticed in the first part, there's a lot of camping. And in the second part, there's a lot of war. So if I made it into a movie, I would do two parts. I'd make the first part all about camping and the second part all about war. And, and so the, this one, there's, there's this weird, and I really noticed it this time, there's this weird calm before the storm vibe that kind of runs through a lot of the first half of this movie. And right down to those scenes at the burrow, there's just this eeriness and there's just this there's just it's very subtle in the soundtrack there's a lot of wind that just sort of like that's just it's not strong enough to be a storm but it's just there that there's an underlying threat and then you get that as they're camping there's a lot of scenes where it's very quiet like you know there's this immense pressure on the characters to accomplish this impossible task and uh, and and yet nothing's really happening. Like there's a lot of scenes of, of sitting around and talking. Uh, and I think David Yates and, and, and everybody who worked on this movie did a really good job at sort of conveying the, in a sense, that the helplessness of the situation that that Harry, Ron and Hermione find themselves in, the danger of it, but also the bizarre, calm nature of, of, as, of certain aspects of it. Obviously, there's other parts that are not very calm, like when they go into the ministry and when they're uh, being chased by uh, Death Eaters through the forest and, and, and all that fun stuff. But there are some moments uh, there where you really sort of, it's got a really eerie feeling to it. And I think uh, that really stood out to me on this viewing of it. So I didn't answer your question at all. But uh, instead of talking about the first time I watched it, I talked about the most recent, time, <laughs> most recent time I watched it. So uh, there you go. But that's that's I guess that would be my opening thoughts. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, very comprehensive, and there's a lot in there that we're going to have to pick apart and dissect a little bit, and and we'll we'll get to it for sure. But uh, Ben, what about you? Your first time watching it, what did you make of it? I was, I mean. Oh, stop it. Oh, stop it. You stop that. Um, Anyway, 
Um, it's really striking. Like this movie, really, it kind of surprised me. I, I mean, you know, like going into this, like I've seen some spoilers, and I know you like I knew a basic overview of all the films. Like I, I could tell like where it was going. So like you get to Deathly Hollows, like it's you know pretty self-explanatory. Like this is getting towards the end. It's really building up, and you know you get those opening scenes where you know it's it's pretty dark. It's pretty. You know, things are getting bad and you're seeing everything they've been talking about actually coming to pass. So but I was just it's striking how different this film is compared to the other ones. Like you've been slowly like comparing this to Philosopher's Stone. Way different. But like we've steadily been building towards that. But like this one just leans into this being very different, very we di- we never see Hogwarts. It's never you know, it's never in this movie that I know of that I remember. Um, so, and you're just you're on this ride, and they're on the run, and things are getting bad. Like it really was like, and I really enjoyed it. I think it's it's very different for a Harry Potter film, even compared to the ones I've already seen. Like it's just, um, you know, overall, I think that's what stands out to me is like thing, and it's very like this romping adventure instead of like shenanigans inside the school and stuff's happening. It's like they're on the run for their lives and stuff's happening and you know they have to go in disguise and get into the ministry and all this kind of stuff like it's crazy that stuff happens a lot of there's a lot of good fun stuff even for a film you expect to be dark there's a lot of good humor and a good bit of laughs in there too that i liked yeah zach what about you so i realize (laughs) this is this is gonna be uh, interesting little story time with Zach kind of thing, if you will. Uh, if you usually listen to uh, to iTunes and Podbean and all that sort of stuff, you don't get to usually hear story time with Zach, which usually happens before the show. But uh, to this week, you get to hear it on the air. Um, I forgot that I made plans with my sister today. We were going to spend time together. And she has not seen anything except uh, Philosopher's Stone. That's the only movie she's seen. And so I realized I obviously couldn't show Deathly Hallows to her. And uh, and then, you know, I'll be watching it for research purposes. She'd be totally lost. Tons of spoilers. She just wouldn't be able to keep up with it. So I came to this realization about uh, midnight last night. Maybe, maybe closer to 1230. And I realized if I'm spending time with her today, I need to watch it before I... Um, before before i see her but i was seeing her right before i go to work so it would have been like sister work podcast where does deathly hallows come in well it came in about 1 a.m last night <laughs> oh, oh, oh. i i got started some i got somewhere between 12 30 and 1 a.m and i had this realization i better watch it now so i turned on the lights in my room so that i wouldn't fall asleep and I put the movie on, and it did not finish until after 3 a.m. Because mm-hmm. this movie is like two and a half hours long, two hours, 20 minutes, something like that. Yeah, it's It's got a very, very long runtime. It's very immersive. And then I looked at part two, and it's just over two hours. Like It's like two hours, 10 minutes. And I'm like, son of a gun, why couldn't this have been the shorter one? I was kind of kicking myself over my decision making. But that didn't take away from my viewing experience. Um, the one thing, the one word 
that kept coming back to me over and over and over again was comprehensive. Mm. This is this is a very comprehensive film. Everything that we have been building up through the entire rest of the franchise has been leading up to this moment. It's been leading up to this conflict, this classic struggle of good versus evil. You've been adding new characters, you've been taking away old characters, but this classic story of good guy versus bad guy is what's kind of rung true throughout. And everything's kind of coming to a head. You know, everything is reaching that breaking point where it's like, we can't have school shenanigans anymore. We don't have time for that because we've got all this other stuff happening. And it's like the fate of wizardry as we know it, the fate of half-bloods as we know it, the fate of the world as we know it, and the status quo that muggles are used to. Everything is being turned on its head. And it's because of everything that's been building up for the last several movies. Everything from, you know, the, the first conflict that, that he has in the, in the Goblet of Fire. Everything from the, the stories and legends that, that came up before that. Uh, the, the moments of truth that they have to face in uh, Order of the Phoenix and uh, Half-Blood Prince. Like, there's just so many moments that if you haven't seen those previous movies, then Deathly Hallows isn't going to do much for you. You kind of have to have a comprehensive look. You have to have seen these previous movies in order to understand and appreciate what's going on. A lot of the complaints that I'd had about the first couple of movies were pretty much rectified in this one. (laughs) And uh, we'll get to talk about all of that in, in a little bit more depth. But I was just very impressed at how immersive this movie was i was very engaged even though i was watching it from the hours of 1 to 3 a.m and it led to a a very interesting conclusion (laughs) interesting is the nice word that i'll choose and got me excited for part two which is what you know the first half of a two-parter is supposed to do it's supposed to leave you interested enough to see what happens next i probably wasn't on the edge of my seat quite like i was after the Desolation of Smaug from the Hobbit series. But I was still interested in seeing what's going to happen next, and I still am. So, you know, it's it's a very interesting perspective, only having seen the first of the two and deliberately waiting to see the second one in order to review it properly as well. It's it's going to make for some fun times. Yeah, I mean, this this is the first movie that really felt like it, it captured what it's like to read the books i think uh because it is it's one book split into two um at least of the of the longer books um like you said it's very comprehensive it it brings back it brings together the story but also because it is two movies it has the opportunity to 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 bring together those those pieces in the right way um and and you wind up feeling like that yeah this is the culmination of everything we've been building to and next next week in, in part two it's even more so i'm looking forward to that i'm looking forward so we're gonna try and do a chronology discussion as best we can we've probably got about 45 minutes to an hour to work with so that'll be interesting getting a two and a half hour movie taken care of in about 45 minutes but we'll see what happens let's go let's do um, it let's let's do this let's um, do this so the uh the order of the phoenix is, has returned and is trying to help take care of Harry especially, but also Ron and Hermione. 
Um, to the point that uh, Harry kind of gets left behind by his family, or mm-hmm. he stays behind intentionally. I never really could tell between that ambiguity. And it's, it, Hermione it, in the book hmm? in the books, it's intentional. He they basically the order tells the Dursleys they need to leave, um, and Harry's okay. left behind. Um, there's also a deleted scene from the movie where because in the, at the beginning of this movie you get kind of like that montage of what the three of them are doing uh there's mm-hmm. a deleted scene where harry and dudley actually kind of have a moment together where there's a little bit of you get a little bit of them there's a little bit of remorse from dudley like dudley becomes a little bit more of a human uh which is which is nice but i can totally understand why from a pacing perspective that had to be cut well you yeah. had that moment with dudley in the last movie where Harry saves him? A little bit, but this is more so. You, have to okay. look, you look it up on YouTube, you'll see. But okay. anyway, sorry, do continue, Zach. No, I mean, I'm just kind of setting the stage more than anything, and so that's 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 interesting to hear. Um, it's ironic that you talk about pacing, because that's probably one of the biggest complaints that I've got about this movie, to be mm. completely honest. The the pacing felt off at uh, at a few different points, whether... You know, very fast and rushed at certain instances and then slows way down (laughs) in other places. Um, It just felt rather inconsistent at times. But the the first part of this movie, the first third, I'd say, uh, was definitely not like that because you've got the the use of the polyjuice potions, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. Trying to trying to disguise which Harry is the real Harry. I never would have thought of using a polyjuice potion, but <laughs> that was that was really clever and it was a really great integrated use of magic. And that was one of the complaints that I had about earlier films was you didn't really see even the people that were skilled with magic. You didn't really see the magic getting used a whole lot, just being taught, just being instructed. Mm. And I was waiting for magic to become a bit more commonplace. Yeah. And they they definitely do that with uh, with with what Hermione does, where she kind of obliviates herself from the Granger family yeah. as she leaves the Polyjuice potion, and then the use of their their wands and their magic while they're fighting the Death Eaters, trying to get to the rendezvous point. All of that was very integrated magic, and well, I yeah. liked it a lot. And, and plus, plus Hermione's Tardis bag and their Tardis tent, where you know just can pull out <laughs> anything out of there. Uh, yeah. Man, that was like a Mary Poppins bag. Come on. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty great. I, I you mentioned Hermione's you're erasing herself from her parents, like that that in a, is a such a such an odd moment in the series because in a way it's perhaps the most tragic moment of the series that she's sort of taking taking her in an effort to protect her in an effort to protect her parents she's you know removing herself from their lives um and the, to the point where they they won't ever remember her and she probably can never see them again at least not in the way that she used to um and and it's you know it's pretty it's pretty tragic but i'm sure there's probably an interesting ethical debate there of like what's more what's what's crueler uh letting them be killed by voldemort or having them survive but have no memory of their daughter who probably brought a lot of joy to their life but that's a that's a whole i mean surely something like that could be reversed in time well actually you know 
Well, I think we have to to wait and see until uh, Fantastic Beasts: The Crimes of Grindelwald comes out because there's a, there's a little something in there. There's a little something uh, little, like okay, little, this little, is uh, like come, let's let's come on now. This is magic, it's a little wizardry, something, witchcraft, little something like limit like limitless possibilities. They can do anything. Like come on, yeah. Oh, it's magic. Oh <laughs> well, yeah, because at the uh, there's there's a little something at the at the end of. The first Fantastic Beasts that uh, I don't know they'll have to address in the sequel, and it kind of relates. It relates pretty directly mm. to this, so I will. I mean, it's, uh, we'll have to see. We'll have to see if that's possible. Also interesting that Grindelwald makes an appearance in this movie. Yeah, I I was not expecting that. No, but was pleasantly surprised because now that we're getting ready for. Uh, Fantastic Beasts and, and doing a Fantastic Beasts discussion and, you know, the second movie obviously being titled The Crimes of Grindelwald, like, we get to see maybe what puts him in that cell, if you will. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, eventually, yeah. So, so I mean, there there may be some deeper tie-ins. We may have been doing this, uh, this viewing and this discussion at exactly the right time. We get to kind oh, of... Certainly. You know, do a little bit of a throwback and uh, and look at some of these things from a from a finish line kind of perspective, and now go back and look at what's happening in the middle. So that uh, yeah, and that could be that could be interesting. Yeah, there's there's um, the the whole Grindelwald thing um, is is kind of skimmed over in the film. Again, this it goes a lot deeper in the book, and I'm really hoping that those Fantastic Beasts movies despite their choice of casting for Grindelwald, I, I hope they, they are able to expand on that story of, of, uh, of Grindelwald and, and, uh, and his relationship with Dumbledore, because that's something that's, that's not really present in the Deathly Hallows films. It's, it's alluded mm-hmm. to, but it's much more in the book and it's implied and JK Rowling has said as much. There's a lot more that doesn't even make it into the book, but there's, there's tons of, there's, there's, that's a relationship and a and a story that's that's rife for more explore, exploration and it'll be exciting to see in those films. So, judging by your tone, I take it you're not a fan of the Johnny Depp casting. No, I I not not really a fan. I I, I um I have a hard hard time looking past what he's uh what he's done uh, uh, offset. Um, and also, I don't know. I I really like the the Harry Potter films. Like it's all British, it's an all British cast, and I really like that they kept that going through all the films. And I was hoping that they would kind of keep something similar going through the Fantastic Beasts movies, where even though they they vary in location a little bit more, I always sort of got the impression that Grindelwald was, you know, if he's going to be British, why not cast a British actor? But I don't know. Yeah, I, I, that, that's such a like a, an esoteric bit of. Uh, a, a esoteric complaint really my more my more my problem with it more stems from johnny depp's offset activities um and and his um you know what what he's uh what he's unfortunately been being known for lately with his relationships uh yeah off the set and on the set actually uh there was a incident a couple couple months ago on on another movie that he worked on so you know it's not it it's uh it it, it complicates how I feel about those movies now. Well, it's unfortunate that things end up tainted because of the behaviors of people outside of the, of the movie or outside of the industry. Mm-hmm. But it's the nature of being an imperfect human, I suppose, is crap hits the fan sometimes. Mm. But um, going going back to the, the movie for a bit... Oh, of course. Um, it, was, it was believed that Voldemort's use of a different wand 
would be the key to getting rid of Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. And as is shown through this particular fight sequence uh, between the Death Eaters and the Order of the Phoenix, that does not prove to be the case. And uh, you know who gets kind of upset over you know what. And uh, <laughs> it, it's it's fascinating to watch this. You know, we, we've got the Order of the Phoenix and we've seen them have their meetings previously. But now we're also kind of getting to the point where everybody following the Dark Lord is kind of assembling as well. And it's almost like a didactic split between, you know, those that follow one faction and those that follow another. And that may have been one of the reasons why we don't see Hogwarts very much is because adding a third element like that really wouldn't have worked or, or blended well with the plurality that they're trying to show. Um, it, it's very, very much you're either with the order or you're following you know who. That's it. Yeah, and, and there's also a, a bit like sort of what you guys were talking about that there's no more time for school fun and games here. Like the, I think keeping them away from Hogwarts really re- you know, re- sort of hammers home the point that this isn't uh, this isn't the same. This isn't this isn't a, the same situation we've seen in all the other uh, all the other movies that uh, that there was always this safety of being at Hogwarts, even when dangerous things were happening. There was always that feeling that. As long as you're at Hogwarts, you're more or less safe. By taking the characters out of that that position, they're kind of and leaving them to their own devices. You're you're really sort of ha- they really have to navigate um, the navigate the, the the world on their own. And I think if you if if we'd seen them at Hogwarts, or if we had seen the other characters at Hogwarts, even though things things aren't great at Hogwarts, and and we'll learn more about that next week. Um, there would have been, I think, a, a, an element of as long as you're here, there's you have at the very least you have allies like they're Ginny and Neville and and all the old members of Dumbledore's army at the very least are all there. And, you know, Luna and, and people like that, uh, although Luna, as we see, doesn't that doesn't stay doesn't stay at Hogwarts very long um, <laughs> there. There's a certain security there where whereas Harry, Ron, and Hermione on their little camping expeditions, it, it's just the three of them, and then as it as it becomes for a while, just the two of them. Yeah. Well, I mean, we do learn a little bit about what's going on at Hogwarts because of the radio that they're yes. listening to. I had the benefit of list of of watching the movie with closed captioning, and so anything that came through the radio, I, even if I couldn't hear it very well, I was able to read what was being said, and. Uh, I believe one announcement made was that Snape was named the yeah. new headmaster. Yep. For one. Mm-hmm. And there were a couple of Death Eaters that were put on staff to help monitor the new rules that were put in place. And uh, there was there was another element that I couldn't remember. Were were they putting the students through pure blood testing as well? I don't think it's ever it's ever stated whether that happens. But it's, but it's the, certainly. But the fact that it's happening on every other level of the wizarding world, like the ministry is basically subjecting everybody to those kinds of tests. Yeah. I think it's probably safe to assume that something similar might be happening at Hogwarts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it definitely. Yeah. It, if, if it's happening out in the real world, if it's not happening at Hogwarts yet, it's very, very likely that that's going to be happening there soon. Right. Right. It's just, it feels almost inevitable, especially with those that are following the dark Lord are, are in very high up positions 
you know, mm-hmm. somebody somebody like Snape, somebody like the Death Eaters, now that they're well, I mean, kind of upper echelon. Voldemort has a as a puppet uh, minister for magic in there, as we see. That's true. Yeah, yeah. that is true. I mean, his his influence is spreading uh, a whole lot more than just about anybody is willing to to care to admit. And I think that's part of what's frightening is that, you know, he made a a rather sudden return. Mm -hmm. Like people have been whispering and talking and rumors have been floating about. But, you know, his his return is something that happens over the span of what, a couple of years, maybe. Yeah. If that. Well, yeah. And you have that kind of influence and that kind of corruption spread throughout the entire system of the wizarding world in the span of a couple of years is pretty impressive. Well, yeah, I think that there's. If you look back at the at the previous films and and the previous stories, like there's there's this sort of sense that things at the at the ministry and and in the wizarding world, there's a little bit of a feeling of like there, there there's there's a lot of dysfunction in there, and so when Voldemort comes back and when he wants to take over the ministry, he doesn't you know himself he doesn't go in there and and become the the leader he cre he he murders the the previous uh the, he murders Scrimger the the current minister for magic at the beginning of the film and you know he so he creates this crisis and is able to install his own puppet minister for magic who then uses all the apparatuses of the ministry like the daily prophet like the courts like everything else to start um uh, implementing all of Voldemort's um, very evil uh, policies and schemes and tactics and, and and all that, everything from taking over Hogwarts to, as you mentioned, the the testing of the the half bloods to see if they're, you know, are they mud blood? Are they pure blood? You know, what are they? There's that, uh, and also just you know taking the Daily Prophet, which. If, if you know, it's worth remembering that two movies ago was straight up lying about Harry and Dumbledore nonstop and using it as uh, once again as a prop- propaganda tool to just sort of say, I mean, we see the post the posters under you know Harry Potter undesirable number one. Uh, there's the point where uh, they're printing out pamphlets uh, about magic is might uh, and things like that. So you see how Voldemort th- things weren't great in the Wizarding World, and Voldemort was able to slip in. And use all those apparatuses that, well, well, under the supervision of people like Fudge or Scrimger, maybe weren't working perfectly, but they weren't being used for evil. Voldemort comes in, installs his puppet, and next thing you know, all of that stuff is being used for, to, you know, um, oh, what's the word? Not enslave. Um, depress? No. But to, you know, to, to subjugate? Subjugate? That's not quite what I'm thinking I mean, of either. That's 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 I think that's whole that's Voldemort's game, isn't isn't it to kind of go in and go like instead of like hiding from the muggles, like, oh, we're better than them. Like, let's just like we're we're the ones that are superior. Like we're you know, we you know, we need to reveal ourselves and uh say, Hey, we're 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 in charge. Yeah, well Vol- Voldemort is all about just personal power. And and the difference I think between Voldemort and Grindelwald is I think Grindelwald has he's a he's an not an idealist um but he you know he he very much believes in subjugating muggles and and that sort of thing because he thinks that's how the world should be like that's his his worldview is that there should be wizards on top and muggles underneath uh, whereas I think Voldemort 
just wants personal power. He wants to be in charge of everything because it makes him feel good. He just he just gets that power. He doesn't he doesn't have the ideology to really back it up. It's just kind of you know he 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 maybe plays on on similar. Uh, emotions that Grindelwald played on. I mean, we see when they go to the ministry, there's this, there's the new statue of of the wizards crushing the the muggles and the mudbloods. Uh, you know, as, as Hermione points out, it's as they view it it's in their rightful place beneath the pure blood blood wizards. Uh, so I think Voldemort definitely placed a similar, um, you know, dark traits within people. Uh, but I think his his ultimate goal is uh is purely personal whereas i think grindelwald and this is something we'll probably see in those film in the fantastic beasts films more uh has a has a larger art as if i keep just repeating myself now but has a larger ideology that he's pushing yeah he's more of a nazi yeah <laughs> i mean grindelwald i mean Voldemort's pretty nazi-ish though like let's let's not uh let yeah that's also true they've 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 Uh, both got a lot in common (laughs) i mean any bad guy you could really kind of you know go hey that guy's kind of a nazi but you know they're especially when they're like literally kind of taking that to heart like that 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 kind of well even you know ideology even the imagery used in 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 the film uh for certain you know like the pamphlets and that sort of thing like they they look like they could have been taken out of history and mm-hmm. tweaked yep. just a little bit. Well, but it never fails to amaze me that whenever a bad guy takes power, you just did not see that coming. Mm. Yeah. Not see that coming. Ugh. No. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> ah, ah, ah. See, I love puns and even that one bothers me. <laughs> <laughs> puns are like puns are like my favorite kind of joke, but that's one where I'm like, oh, now I see how everybody else feels when uh, <laughs> when puns are told. <laughs> oh man, see, you thought I was saying something super profound. I thought you were. I, I like... you you really played us. You're like you're like it's always crazy how you're like making this really deep emotional point. You just, you just did not see that coming. <laughs> Oh man, I got I got to make a little bit of light in in situations when I can because this movie has some very sad undertones. Uh-huh. There there there's a lot of there's a lot of sadness. There's a lot of of injury. There's a lot of death in this yeah. movie. I mean, in in the in the very first chase scene, um, I mean, Mad Eye Moody uh, and and Hedwig are both killed. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, that's not the, the first moment of sadness that we end up having, and, and certainly not the last. I mean, there's, um, she's, who else am I thinking of? There was another, not, not the, not the, not the big death at the, at the very end, but there was another one in the middle that, that kind of caught me off balance, but I can't remember who it was now for the life of me. Um, but I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of fighting uh-huh. Uh, not not just against uh, the Death Eaters, but amongst themselves. Yeah. Even you know, there's yeah. a lot of there's a lot of argumentation. There's a lot of fighting over you know how they're going to do this, how they're going to go about this, how they're going to succeed, if they're going to succeed. There's a lot of self doubt in certain circumstances as well that leads to just character tension, uh-huh. which is something that you get a little bit of in the previous movies, but it's almost like this is amplified to the nth degree in this film as well. 
Oh, certainly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you get, uh, you know, Ron disappears for a while um, when he shows doesn't, back. Doesn't Hermione say at one point that it's been like weeks or something yeah. like that? Yeah. Yeah. He's gone for weeks. And I, I love I love when he shows back up and he's just sort of like all like casual about it. And she she's like freaking out at him. And then she says to Harry, Harry, where's my wand? Where's my wand? Harry? Like she's going to she's going to curse him or something like she's going to do something to him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hex like, him or something just to just to knock him down a few pegs for disappearing like that. But yeah, it, it's. I, I, they, they, you know, again, so much of this movie, there's, there's waiting. There, you know, there's, it's the calm before the storm. Like they're, they're on the run, and so the, the threats aren't always there because they, they do a pretty good job at hiding themselves, like the external threats. Um, but anytime you get, you know, just a couple of people together for, and, 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 uh, the only, only contact they have is with each other. There's a, there's a tendency for, for conflict, and then you throw in. A, uh, a a locket that is that contains a portion of the soul of the most evil person in the world that was carved out of him using dark the darkest of dark magic um, that is then poisoning the soul of whoever's wearing it. Uh, it just makes it you know makes it even even more tense and and yeah you you kind of you know it's really it's the the the, the ultimate test of of Harry Ron and Hermione's friendship happens in this one because it's you know now again it's just them it's them against the world essentially and this is the this is the ultimate test for them and you know they they come out they come out of this all right and we'll see about next week you know and it's not like like we've done this before Mm -hmm. like this happens like quite a bit harry and ron something happens they don't talk to each other for a while like Mm -hmm. that's that's been that's been a subplot in at least one, if not five of the other movies, like, you know, this has happened a lot, but like they're stuck in a school together, like, and they're in the safety of the school and they have people, you know, watching over them. They're in safety. Like they'll eventually get back together. Like they're out in the freaking woods. Like, you know, they're, they're on their own and they're, you know, they're still like, they're more mature, but they're still kids. So they're, you know, their whole, outlook on everything and just the way they deal with things is still very immature in a way and especially when you have you know incredibly dark forces um you know at your throat literally so like um you know it it makes sense but it's also like you know i i love i love ron as you said like i love ron's like hey i'm back you know no big deal i was gone for a long time but you know i'm back now Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's uh like i said it's the ultimate test for them well, it's interesting that you you were mentioning age for a second there. At one point, uh, you know, Harry is still technically considered a minor. Mm-hmm. You know, early on in the in the film, early on in the story, he's still quote unquote under age, if you will. Yep. And that makes it a lot harder for him to be able to to move because the ministry still knows his whereabouts. I find it a little invasive, <laughs> yeah. to be honest. Like I, I find I find that that particular concept to be rather invasive, but um, it's almost like as soon as that that was released is when he was just ready to go, just ready to do something. And it's almost like a weight was kind of taken off of his shoulders to a certain degree, just in time for him to put a new weight on. <laughs> like poor Harry just yeah. does not 
get a moment of of rest. He's always on the move. He's always on the go. And he kind of has to like make these really tough decisions about, you know, do I stay for the wedding? Do I go to this direction? Do I investigate this circumstance? Do I, you know, fight for my friends or do I fight for the the safety of the wizarding realm as we know it? You know, he's got a lot of really tough decisions that he has to deal with, and I do not envy him at all. Yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. And and you know, you mentioned that you know the the ministry has the 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 trace on him. Like this is something again. Like it goes back. We've seen this before in um, well, both uh, Order of the Phoenix and the third one prisoner of azkaban that when harry uses magic outside of hogwarts you know all of a sudden he's in trouble with the ministry and again under under the the supervision of of fudge in in sort of peacetime it's kind of you know hand waved away of like well you know bad thing you know uh, everybody screws up sometimes we're not going to kick you out of school even though we could then we see it progress in order of the phoenix where fudge is afraid uh, he's running this propaganda campaign against Harry through the press, and all, Harry uses the um, u- uses uh, the the Patronus his Patronus to save him and Dudley from the Dementors. Uh, and all of a sudden, there's this massive trial where it takes Dumbledore coming in and kind of convincing convincing the jurors to um, to to actually follow the law, which is to say that Harry is is you know he used magic in an extraordinary circumstance circumstance and therefore should not be kicked out of school. But it, we're all, we're already seeing how that power that the Ministry has can be abused. And had Harry not had such good representation in court, uh, he very well might have been kicked out of school then. And Fudge could have won his little propaganda war only to lose the actual war to Voldemort. And then here, uh, and it's and it's a little bit more. Uh, explicit in the books uh but it's uh, you know it's very clear that this power that fudge and scrimger had and were sort of uh using appropriately depending on the situation is now in the hands of voldemort and his minions and they're using it to track down and and attack harry and again it just goes to show how voldemort was able to use an already sort of dysfunctional system to institute uh, oppression across the world. Right. Well, and what's also interesting is he doesn't have that defense anymore. He doesn't have that representation. Yeah, He doesn't exactly. have that mentor. He's on his own. Yeah. Everything, everything that he has to do. I mean, yeah, he's got, he's got the Weasleys and, and he's got somebody like Xenophilius Lovegood that kind of helps him fill in the gaps a little bit. But for the most part, this trio is... On their own, mm-hmm. and, and even that's another that's another really interesting element. Oh yeah, absolutely. Again, it's 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 the test, right? Like they, it all, and and it's the same reason they couldn't be at Hogwarts because even at Hogwarts, even under you know Snape and and the Death Eaters uh, rule, there would still be McGonagall and Flitwick and Slughorn, and 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 there would be allies who could help them there. But you take them out of Hogwarts, and it is truly them on their own. And that's you know that's a critical part of the hero's journey is that the mentor, and in this case Dumbledore, he can't be there anymore. They have to learn how to go on without him. And uh, one thing I, I think that that the the film does to a small extent, but the book does really well is. It creates there's there's almost this whole other plot line in the book about Harry 
questioning if he ever really knew Dumbledore and if he ever really could have trusted Dumbledore. And it's it's kind of a shame it's that it doesn't get picked up as much in the in the film. It's it's kind of there at the beginning at the at the wedding when he's talking to those two those two old fogies and they're kind of regaling it with stories about Dumbledore that he never knew and they question him like how did you even know the man? Uh and the book goes far more in depth into it than either of the two films do. Um, but it, it does, it, again, it challenges Harry on a, on another front where he can't just call up Dumbledore and say, hey, why didn't you ever tell me we lived in, we, we both grew up in Godric's Hollow or anything like that. Yeah, but I, I, would, I would counter just based on what I viewed last night is that hearing these stories, at least at the wedding, was part of what gave him a certain direction to follow when searching for the other Horcruxes. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely, and and the and the film definitely plays it more from that regard that it that it gives him a little bit of a map, and and it's there in the book too. Um, but in the book, it comes much more with this idea that you know, did you ever know Dumbledore? Could you really trust this man? And you begin to find out about Dumbledore's backstory and his history with Grindelwald, and how at one point Dumbledore actually agreed with Grindelwald and was trying to sort of justify. Um, here, I'll, I'll, this doesn't really get go into the. It doesn't really get addressed in the film, so I'll, I'll give you guys a quick little bit of backstory. Um, mm. But Dumbledore and Grindelwald, after they were done school, um, they spent a summer together in which they became obsessed with finding the Deathly Hallows and conquering death, and they were going to use the the Deathly Hallows to basically restore order to the world and put. Uh, put uh wizards in charge and and subjugate muggles and dumbledore you know always knew this was wrong but he tried to justify it to himself and the phrase he used uh you know he sort of did it like he sort of said like oh we're going to do this to the muggles for their own good for the greater good and that phrase for the greater good became uh grindelwald's sort of calling card and there's a scene in in Fantastic Beasts, where uh, Percival Graves is asking, is, is, question, is questioning Newt about his actions. And he asks him a question, and, and Newt says, you mean, do you mean, do I support mass slaughter for the greater good? And then says, I'm not one of Grindelwald's fanatics. No, I don't, basically. And so Dumbledore and, and Grindelwald had this relationship where they were seeking out the Deathly Hallows. They were looking to become sort of the... the most powerful wizards and subjugate muggles all at the same time. And then uh, Dumbledore was sort of brought back to reality by a, a series of, a, of events that are quite, quite tragic and, and inform his backstory that they get into a little bit in the next film. Uh, and so I'll, I'll leave it there, but I can certainly explain more when we get to that next week. A series of unfortunate events. It sounds yeah, like a series of very unfortunate events. <laughs> Even, but that's even, another book series. Even more unfortunate than something Lemony Snicket could come up with. Although, he comes pretty close. Goodness gracious. The stuff that's on Netflix right now is just flat out weird. I love that series so much. I love. I love, I loved reading the ugh. books and I love watching it. I think it's so... I think, I think that adaptation is one of the best adaptations of a book series I've ever seen. Including, including the one we're talking about. Uh, that's high praise, dude. That's it's very it's, high praise. It's really well done. I, I mean, this this is still. I still see this as kind of the peak, but that 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 one comes pretty close. And again, this is just you know, my opinion. Obviously, other people feel differently. I know lots of people quite like what the Lord of the Rings films did. So, 
Oh man, that's another discussion. Yeah, already, you guys have already. Uh, right. That's you guys, an RIPC. You guys episode. have already. You guys have already talked about that, so I don't. That's, I don't need that's to. another discussion for another time. <laughs> yeah, uh, Ben, I, I've got a rather specific question for you because this is okay. this is this is one that that got to me a little bit, and I don't know if it got to you or if it got to anyone else. We mentioned the creative use of the of the polyjuice potion when they're coming up with multiple fixtures of Harry so that they can all kind of, you know, split up and then reunite. And uh, I thought that was clever. But then they used it again to break into the Ministry of Magic. And I felt like it probably could have been used a third time in another circumstance. Do you feel like they overdid it with Polyjuice Potion specifically, just being able to blend in and camouflage in different areas? Because at times it felt rather convenient to me. I, I don't think so. I think, I think, like I said, like, it's it's wizardry. Like, it's literally like there is no limit to what you can do with it. Like You could, you could, you could cast a spell that, like, makes people believe they're seeing somebody else rather than actually having to drink the potion. Or why, why, can, why the extra steps when you've got polyjuice potion? Like, you just use you that. you can just stupefy like, them. Or you can make yourself, like invisible to a, a certain group of people and they just can't see you when or you're the, within five or, feet of them or something. You, you could wear your invisibility cloak. Yes! Thank you! And then you're just running through bumping into people. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, get, I get that argument. And yeah, they could have come up with something different. But I think when you're getting down towards the end of this series and you need something like that, like it's easy to go back to something that's already been well established. The audience knows how this works. They don't have to show it happening. They just okay, polyjuice potion. You know, it's going to turn you into somebody else. Let's go, and they do it, and it's this you know pretty simple thing that happens. So you know, I think, and honestly, like the scenes in in the ministry are some of my favorites because it's yeah. just it's it's kind of funny, really, truly. Like it's it's them in disguise, and they're trying to do this, and you know what's at stake here. So it's really intense that like. You guys are crazy for going into here in the first place, but you know what's at stake. Um, and I do, but in the same way, like it, towards the end, I like the idea of like when they're right in the thick of being captured by these guys that are going to take them into Malfoy's, you know, Hermione has the quick thinking to go, okay, I'm going to disfigure Harry so that they think they think they have Harry Potter, but they can't confirm it because it doesn't look like him. So yeah, that was funny too. I like that. But uh, yeah, I think you know, Polyjuice Potion. You know, you got something. It was some. You know, if it if it don't if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know, just keep using that. I mean, I I get where you're coming from with the with the concept of something already established being reused. Because I do agree that if they had tried to just uh, introduce something new and then you're just like, oh, that that's that's interesting. Then I'd probably be on the flip side complaining about like, oh, we've got another new element that you have to explain to us. And that probably would have slowed the movie down. So I, I do get it. But at the same time, if you've got this much magic at your disposal, you probably could have done something else with it and just chose not to. But while we're while we're in the ministry, let's let's stop there for for a couple of minutes and 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 talk about that because it's got some pretty interesting elements as they try and uh, try and search for the uh, for the pendant that actually is the correct Horcrux. It's not just a 
a, a what do you call it, a decoy. And you kind of have like these little reunions, if you will, because <laughs> uh, Dolores Umbridge is yeah. on the scene. Yeah. That was, ugh, made me throw up in my mouth a little bit. <laughs> but that that woman just does that to me nowadays, apparently. Um, but then you've also, I, I'm trying to find the, the names of the actors and actress that actually, um, are the ones that, whose body they, body. Yeah, they I, I, they, they did a great job. I mean, you got to <laughs> hand it to them for playing Harry, Hermione and Ron trying to play themselves. This, this weird, you know, just kind of backwards and forwards, like trying to interpret this and, uh, really did a great job of kind of like turning that into like you know the the hilarity that ensues when they're of course not doing it right right because they're it's hard to to keep up with it at times because you're like oh okay so this is Hermione this is Harry this is Ron or is it or is it and the way that you can tell you know who's standing out and who's who's not is by the way that they carry themselves, their posture, their movements. You can just tell how uncomfortable they are, practically in their own skin, if you will. And so their movements are deviant just enough to let you know that they're not like everybody else in the crowd, but they're also so not like the characters that we're used to that it allows them to blend in if you don't know what you're looking for. So I I did like the way that those three actors and actresses played it and, and pulled it off because it it takes some serious acting to pretend to be somebody pretending to be somebody else. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I wish I knew what their names were. I'm going through the IMDb cast list and I can't find them for the life of me. Yeah. Well, just, just, I just want to add about the, the polyjuice potion thing. I think, yeah, you're definitely, you, you make an, you make a valid point that like, just from a, a, a creativity standpoint, it, it would be nice to come up with some more ideas, but I do love that the polyjuice potion always sort of seems to have this, um, this t- this like plot timer that it always runs out just before the characters are done with it. Like it, it, it always <laughs> like it, going back to chamber of secrets, uh, you know, they start changing back too soon. Uh, Mad Eye Moody, even he starts to turn back into the doctor before uh, time, time was up. Uh, and then of course in here, I mean, I guess the one example where it doesn't, uh, doesn't, it, it works out all right is the um is all the all the different harry potters going back to uh, going back to the burrow but in uh, by the time they get to the ministry it's back on that plot timer where you know all, they go in looking like these other wizards they come out looking like themselves yeah i i love that you know it's like he's in the he's in the like harry's in the uh you know, or, or in the uh, what is it, the the courtroom or whatever, and he just turns back into himself. Like, oh, this is the worst timing possible. Yeah, like, it's like you're already you know, it's also perfect. <laughs> you're already in the courtroom for uh, Umbridge's kangaroo court there, and yeah, I think Ron changes back as as, as he's, wife, as as he's making out with his wife <laughs> as he's kissing her. Yep, oh, I love, super I awkward. Think that's and so he's funny. Like, 
He's like, he's like, what did he say? He was like, it's a long story <laughs> or something like that. But it was nice to meet you. And I'm like, what? Yeah. Like, he's still got that gawky, awkward teenager stuff to him. And uh, like you were saying earlier, after he makes his uh, quote unquote triumphant return to the encampment, he's very blase about it. He's very casual about it. And it's a very teenager thing to do. You're just like, hi, I'm back. It's like, no, you don't, you don't get to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Here, let, let me, uh, let, let me ask you guys, let me ask you guys something. So the film is called Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. So I want to ask you about the, the, the Hallows themselves. Um, and I want to know what you thought of, of the concept behind these three objects and also the, the scene in which they are first uh, described to us or shown to us in, in a very unique sort of way. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I tell you what, we can we can go into that in depth in just a second. We're going to go to a brief program identification and we'll see you folks on the flip side as we continue our discussion of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1. IPC. And we're back, continuing our discussion of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1. Uh, we're, we're getting into some of the more interesting elements of the second half of the film now, and it's kind of the second half of the podcast episode, so it all works out. Uh, Dom, you asked us right before the break our, our thoughts about the the story of the Hallows themselves and the way that that story was told and the way it was all presented. First and foremost, I took a look at the at the chronometer. I hit the pause on my Blu-ray when I actually heard the words Deathly Hallows get mentioned for the first time in this movie. You want to know how far along into this film we were before they even get mentioned? An hour and 50 minutes. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I, I remember. We are, all, we are almost <laughs> two hours into this movie, and then we finally hear Daddy Lovegood uh, say the, the phrase, Deathly <laughs> Hallows. Yeah, that, that, that was something. There was a lot of speculation going into these movies about where the break would be. And I remember being on MuggleNet. Uh, dot com <laughs> in the lead up to the, the 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 films when it was first announced that there would be a split and the the they had a they were running a poll about where you think the the split should happen and one of the options was uh, Xenophilius Lovegood saying ah you refer to the symbol of the Deathly Hallows and that could be a place where the movie would end wow. and I remember kind of going into it and and as I was watching it for the first time as we got to that scene I'm like is this where they're going to end it? Like, are we going to keep going? Like, and unfortunately it keeps going a little bit, but, uh, 
it does it takes a while to actually get to the Deathly Hallows in the Deathly Hallows, both in in book and uh, movie form. I never really thought about the fact that when you're watching this movie for the first time, you know it's two parts. Like you don't you don't know when it's going to stop. Like yeah. you could stop at any time. And yeah. like if you're watching in a theater, like there's no time code. Like oh, I know it's going to go for another thirty minutes. Like. You don't know anything. Yeah, I, well, I have my copy of the book here. I've got the hardcover, and I was, I was just thinking oh, I should look really quickly and see if I could find um, the, 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 the moment where in the book it actually gets – the name gets dropped for the first time or, or the first main time when Xenophilia says, are you referring to the sign of the Deathly Hallows? And I opened it up, and I opened up pretty much to the middle, <laughs> and I only had to flip a couple of pages to get to page 328 – where the name is first really, uh, or the, the the name is first really given its its significance, and that is page three hundred and sixty eight of six hundred and seven. So yeah, over halfway in the uh, in the book too. Wow, wow, jeez. Yeah. So, uh, so the closer the closer we get to the middle, the closer we get to the end of this first movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we get to that point, it's. <laughs> It, it's hard for me to describe this sequence because it's almost like like an illustration, if yeah. you will, like in like an animated illustration that shows the events of, of you know, the legend of the Deathly Hallows. And uh, who, what is it? It's the tale of the three brothers is tale what it's of called. The three right. Brothers. Yeah. The tale of the three brothers that, that shows the reward that each one of them, quote unquote, receives for their clever evasion of death. One of them receiving the most powerful wand in the world, uh, a stone that has the ability to recall death, and the death itself's invisibility cloak. Am mm-hmm. I am I recalling that correctly? Yep. Yep. And together, so this, yeah. Together, those those three things create the Deathly Hallows, which is the ability to lord over death itself. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. You'd be the master of death. Yeah. So each each item is a hallow. Yeah. The and the three of them are the deathly hallows. And if you were able to get all three, allegedly you would be the master of death. Um, and yeah, I think the best way to describe it, I think that's a really good way of describing it, Zach. It's, it's an illustration. It's like the illustration out of a children's book, um, mm-hmm. but brought to life. And that's because in in universe that is a children's story the the tale of the three brothers it's it's part of right. it's part of the tales of beetle the bard um which is the what, book that hermione gets from dumbledore exactly as dumbledore he's leaving he's leaving clues for him or uh, he's leaving them the things they're going to need and it's funny actually um a couple years after the the book jk rowling published the tales of beetle the bard and yes of course i own a copy uh and there's five like little short stories of wizarding world fairy tales essentially and they range from cutesy to uh horrifyingly graphic (laughs) and uh they're they're a lot of fun but what's really fun is after each story you get the notes of albus dumbledore like what he thought about like dumbledore doing a little bit of literary criticism (laughs) <laughs> uh, and it's 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 pretty it's pretty fun. So if you ever have a chance to look at a copy or or pick up a copy for yourself, it's 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 a it's a it's a tiny little book. Uh, it was printed as part of like a charity drive, and uh, it's 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 pretty fun. It's pretty fun. And and there's a obviously the longest sec- section of Dumbledore notes is on the tale of the three brothers, but it's still it still stops sh- short a little bit of of really going into 
um, what the Deathly Hallows are all about. But yeah, it, it's a, uh, it was a scene like I was not sure how they were going to depict it in the film, having read it in the book, because in the book, it's just the story published, uh, just right. word for word. Um, and, but in, 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 in the film, I was wondering how they would do it. And I thought, I thought the way they went about it was really cool. And it's, you know, it's very different from anything we've seen in, in these movies before, but it, it, it I, I thought they, I, I thought it showed a bit of uh, a bit of creativity to, to do something like that instead of just kind of trying to find a way to skim the story and not really tell it. Um, so I, I, I loved it. I, I, I don't know what I, I kind of cut you off there, but what you guys actually thought of it. Well, Ben, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna defer to you for for just a moment here because I'm on Amazon trying to find my own copy. <laughs> um, uh, there's, there's also a, there's also a book about Quidditch through the ages. I'm yeah. highly intrigued. Yeah, that's that's a lot of fun too. And you can also buy the uh, the Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them textbook as well. There were there's a sort of the three oh, wow. the three in universe books that that J.K. Rowling wrote. They're 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 all a lot of fun. Wow. So we're talking about the three brothers thing, right? Yeah, the tale of the three brothers. Yeah, that was interesting because it kind of comes out of the blue and you get like, I mean, this fully like it's not like someone talking like it's fully animated thing, which is pretty cool that, you know, they kind of went to the effort of like telling the story and telling about the elder wand and all this kind of stuff. And I, I, I like I like that a lot. Um, and I think it was I, th- I think exposition can be difficult sometimes especially when it's just like some character just telling a story whereas they kind of put it to visual which was really kind of refreshing mm-hmm. yeah it, it looked it looked really good and what, what do you think of the concept just of of you know this idea from these old children's stories actually being real yeah that's i don't know like i mean in this universe of course anything is possible but uh you know that that's really kind of creepy <laughs> yeah so does that mean in in our world that means that the cow that jumped over the moon is a real thing <laughs> possibly possibly i mean um you know it's, most of the stories in in Beale, tales of beale the bard uh are uh are not uh not true but this one you know sort of maybe a little bit of truth in legends right oh i see what you did there i see what you did there <laughs> Um, okay, so there's there's a couple of other elements that, that we really need to get to before we give our final thoughts and our planet scores and all that good stuff. One of them being um, the the um, the retrieval of the sword of Godric Gryffindor uh, at the bottom yeah. of the uh, at the bottom of the lake, the bottom of the pond, whatever it is. Uh, Dom, I'm I'm really curious how this story uh, or this this element of the story is depicted in the books because it's very mystical in nature, but not the type of mis- mystical that we get from typical magic. It almost reminded me of what I expected Twilight to be like, or something. <laughs> like it, it it's very glittery, it's very isolated, it's very woodsy. Is just very different from anything that we've seen from the the Potter universe before. Can you can you tell us a little bit about what it's like in the book and how it compares to what we see in the movie? It's actually very similar. Like this, this is a pretty, uh, pretty much a straight up adaptation of of what goes down in the book. It it it's the same sort of way. Harry just kind of wanders. Uh, he he follows the the, the dough uh, off, and 
he sees where it kind of leads him to. He looks in the pond, sees that the the sword is under there. He goes down, goes dives under the under the ice, goes tries to t- tries to get at it. The locket tries to stop him, and he ultimately has to be saved by Ron, who shows shows up at the at the same time. They open up the locket so Ron can kill it. Um, again, he's sort of you know the the locket shows him what he fears most, and he overcomes. It's it's remarkably remarkably similar um in in terms of how it plays out on on screen versus how it plays out on the page and um all, all i'll add about it is that um there's more to this scene than meets the eye and we'll find out about it um we'll find out about it next week and i can't remember how clear it's made in the movie but uh at the very least i'll explain it to you oh so there's there's more there's more to to what we've seen than what we've seen. Yeah, there's more going on here. Interesting, interesting. Because that that sequence in and of itself was probably one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie. Mm. Not gonna lie, yeah, like it, it was it was just very it was very much um, left to the intelligent audience. You know, you have to recognize, oh, that's not just any sword. That is the sword. Mm-hmm. That's the one that they've been needing, and. I caught myself shivering when Daniel Radcliffe oh. jumped into the water. Like just the, just the thought of jumping into an icy cold oh, yeah. puddle like that was enough to, to, to give me chills. And then to, to watch what is essentially a sentient locket resist the very thing that gives it the, the highest potential to, to be destroyed like you're recognizing that not only is this the locket that's resisting, but this is Voldemort himself mm-hmm. that is trying to preserve his existence by avoiding the sword of, of Gryffindor. And I just found all of those elements interwoven so creatively and so well that uh, it was it was very, very impressive to me. I, I really like that scene a lot. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's a great scene. Um, there's... Jeez, there's there's so much. <laughs> there's there's so much to look at because as soon as as soon as they finish that, this is this is where they uh, where they kind of put the pieces of the puzzle together to to head over to the Lovegood house and to to hear the story of the Deathly Hallows, and they they find out that the Ministry has taken Luna and they really don't have any way to escape the Snatchers, so they kind of give in to them. And you uh, you end up at the Malfoy house, which is something that uh, that in itself is something that we really haven't covered a whole lot. But the the Malfoy house is exactly what you would expect it to look like. (laughs) Yeah. Like whoever did the set design for that, it makes me feel like I'm, I'm living in Draco and Lucius's establishment. Like it's just everything about it just reminds me of that so so much dark and disturbing that's pretty much malfoys yep pretty much and uh, we we had an appearance of of creature the dwarf i get those two mixed up even in lord of the rings and they don't even look that similar in lord Elf, of the rings pointy ears dwarf short but in this case in this case the elves are short with 20 years so it is confusing especially if you start crossing the streams with different franchises oh man i don't like the word i don't like the phrase crossing streams it reminds me because legolas and creature look nothing alike all right (laughs) Mm, 
mm, thank goodness for that. But uh, we get we get creature and we get uh, Dobby. Yeah, and then, Dobby's back finally. And then Dobby comes back again because he was a servant of the Malfoys yeah. before he was set free, and so he knows his way around their house pretty darn well. And uh, apparently, even when everybody else can't, uh, Dobby's able to. What is it? Apparate? Is apparate. That what you call it? Yeah. Yeah. He's able to apparate in and out of the cellar, even with the spell cast upon it. And that proves to be extremely useful in this particular rescue mission because there's a lot of people that are staying down in the Malfoy cellar right now, including Luna and uh, Ollivander the Wandmaker himself. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Um, th- this particular rescue up proves to be really, really important as uh, they try and make their getaway. But uh, not everybody quite gets away, do they? No. Yeah. I, I, this was, of all the losses, arguably the most tragic. Because Dobby was always such a pure character. He was always trying to do what was right. He had this, this such a... Such a such a, a close relationship with Harry that that you know is based out of you know Dobby has this this love of Harry that Harry doesn't immediately return but by the end of Chamber of Secrets he's definitely returned it to him that where there's a, a mutual respect and 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 kinship there and 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 Dobby you know he, he never hurt anybody he even when he was doing things that that seemed wrong to Harry in 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 Chamber of Secrets, his his heart was always in the right place. He always thought he was trying to protect Harry. And uh, in this, uh, you know, he goes out the way he, he came into the story, which was trying to protect Harry. And, and it's a, a pretty impactful sacrifice. And, uh, you know, in a, lot, a little, in a lot of ways, it sets the tone for what's to come. Oh, man. Oh, man. See, there was there was enough death in part one to make me realize that nobody's safe yeah you know and and that's a that's a really tough reality that you have to face for the second half of this film is that you know the way they just so casually got rid of characters like mad eye you're just like oh wait a second yeah he's, he's not there anymore you didn't even oh. see him die like no. exactly. I, honestly i didn't even notice hedwig dying really oh, i noticed yeah I noticed. oh man i noticed <laughs> unfortunately that that one that one actually probably messed with me quite a bit. I was like, why would you mess with innocent creatures like an owl? Like Hedwig was just How defending dare you, his... Rowling. Hed, Hed, <laughs> Hedwig was just defending her master, not not doing anything, you know, like choosing sides. It's just, you know, animal impressions and loyalty and that kind of thing. And then Hedwig gets killed for that? Like, come on. Again, <laughs> again it, it, in the book and in the film it sets the tone, right? Like it's it does all those you know all those things we thought were safe and familiar uh they're starting to lose them started with dumbledore or it started with sirius in in order of the phoenix moved became dumbledore and in uh in half-blood prince and now we're you know those and those guys were powerful wizards now we're knocking off you know lower uh, you know people who seemingly are are less important but are of great import to to harry and to us as the audience birds now birds and elves Oh my! <laughs> Sorry, it just felt felt appropriate at that particular instance. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but jeez, oh, um, I don't even know where to go from this. I mean, there, there's still so much about this that we really didn't even get a chance to cover. I mean, the 
the the trip to uh to to Harry's neighborhood and the fight with Nagini was another really great scene that yeah. we didn't even get to touch on. Um, and then the the very very end after we we say our goodbyes, our proper goodbyes to Dobby, um, we see Dumbledore clutching the wand in his grave, and and you know who having the audacity to pry open the the the, the resting place of the deceased just to be able to go fetch that that key element that missing link if you will it was a really interesting way to to finish the movie out because like the the whole burst of lightning and things like that that the that the the one was able to do um and now he's got that different one and he doesn't have to borrow one from lucius like he's got something else to combat harry with and for all we know it could prove entirely effective well, yeah, he's got he's got the elder wand now. He's got the ultimate, the ultimate power. Uh, you know what what is thought of as the most powerful wand uh, imaginable. He's got it now. So here's, I th- this is just my crazy fan theory wanting to to play out, and uh, obviously only seeing the movies and and not having a whole lot of connection to the books. I can't help but wonder if the only invisibility cloak that we've seen in the entire franchise potentially turns out to be the invisibility cloak from the story. You know what, Zach? I'll tell you right now. You are 100% right. It's not really it's not really a, it's not really addressed in the the film, I don't think, but it's made abundantly clear in the book. We have now seen two of the hollows. We've seen the invisibility cloak, and we've seen the the elder wand. Uh, just looking for the resurrection stone. And ah, uh, brilliant! Yeah, so, brilliant. so you 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 got it. I, it's it's a bit weird that it's not made more explicit in the film, and and maybe I'm just misremembering part two a little bit. Uh, but you are absolutely right. That is the that is the invisibility cloak. Da ding, gold star. Yeah. Yep, yep. Okay, so with that. Uh, we might as well go into final thoughts and uh, and planet scores. Um, I jeez, I I still need a minute to compose my thoughts. Dominic, do you have final thoughts on this film and and what kind of things you feel comfortable saying to kind of set the stage for part two? Um, uh, what I'll say about this movie is I think they did a really good job. I think uh, Deathly Hallows had to be split into two. Arguably, other other books in the series could have been split into two, but Deathly Hallows had to be. Um, I think they do a really good job at 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 laying the groundwork in this in this movie for what's to come. Uh, I think they 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 went in a, in an interesting direction by going with that really leaning into that eerie calm before the storm vibe in certain parts, and I think they do a really good job at telling the story of Harry, Ron, and Hermione sort of overcoming their first set of obstacles, which are largely of their own making. It's their own interactions that they have to overcome. Uh, and I, I think the, 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 place to en- the place they ended it was excellent. I think the way they, they told the this tale of the three brothers was very good. Um, where I sort of, where I, I'm a little bit disappointed in, in both of the films is that there's so much in the book about Dumbledore that gets lost uh in in the adaptation and i understand why there's you know there's a whole 
there's a chapter in the book where most of it is taken up with a, an, an extended excerpt from Rita Skeeter's book about Dumbledore that we see featured in, in the movie. And so you can't really show that. Uh, and there's, there's a lot of stuff that's, that's alluded to that, that there just isn't time for. And, I, and so I understand, but I, I really, it, I, I found it sort of essential to my, uh, ex, or I found it really um, was really a, a big part of my experience of reading the Deathly Hallows. Um, but as a film, I think it, it does a really, really good job. And I'll, I'll, uh, I'll give it a planet score of 10 out of 10. Wow. It's been a while since there's been a, a score of 10 on the planet scores. It, it may actually have been uh, Philosopher's Stone when you gave it a 10 yep. in that film. <laughs> yeah. That, that may, that may have been the most recent planet score that we've gotten. Mm-hmm. That was uh, that was a perfect number like that. Ben, what about you? I will. I'll say Mike's score for just a second, but I will say my final thoughts on this movie are <clears throat> I really enjoyed it. I really did, and I think I, I think this was – I mean like if you're waiting, you're waiting how many films we are in now on this. Like you're waiting for stuff to happen. You know something's coming. Like you've known this for a while now, especially if you've watched these movies back in the day when you had to wait several years between movies. Like you know, this is a long wait to get here, and you know you're on the cusp of – this huge battle and ultimately this, you know, massive, um, you know, coming of age for this universe. Um, and I think this is a good prelude and you definitely, you don't get everything in this movie, but you do get a lot and you, you get a full understanding of what's at stake and what is, you know, what's happening. And, you know, from the ministry to, you know, everything and, you know, not seeing Hogwarts, you know, just kind of being, you know, away from that. That's felt like home for a while. Like, even though we're not in these movies, like you watch these movies, like it's a comfortable place and you're taken out of that element completely and you're put into the wilderness and the, you know, the into London and, and the Ministry of Magic and all these places that are very hostile. And it's just says something about this film and about the, you know, the, the whole situation that you're in that, that, Things are bad, and these characters are in a really bad place, and it's just going to get worse, unfortunately. But uh, I think it really it, it does good, and it keeps you like wondering, you know, what's coming next. Great little cliffhanger, some very heartbreaking moments. I thought some, you know, like I said, the the whole you know intro into the uh, the the Ministry of Magic I thought was kind of funny and you know pretty thing. One of my favorite moments, and you know also some really heartbreaking stuff and some really emotional stuff and some really good character studies on these characters that we've been with for a long long time and they are developing and they're dealing with stuff they've never dealt with before so really truly i enjoy this one i'm looking forward to next week i'm looking forward to watching the final chapter in this trilogy not trilogy just story series series, several trilogies i guess you could say um so i'm gonna give this one let me give this one a (laughs) 9.5 stopping (laughs) well it's very rare for the host to ever give a perfect score like i don't i i can't recall the last time i gave anything a 10 Mm -hmm. i honestly can't Mm -hmm. it's it's been a while although I would probably give The Shape of Water a 10 if we ever did a review would, of The Shape of Water. I would, too. That's a great movie. Holy smokes. I finally saw that for the first time. I got the Blu-ray of it, and I stayed up late one night watching it. 
absolutely amazing film. I'd probably give that a 10. I'm not giving this one a 10, though, unfortunately. Um, there were some things that I wasn't super crazy about. Um, the the pacing, once they decide to, to, to use Hermione's camping tent in various locations, the pacing there felt very off in several instances. And the only way we were able to really truly tell that weeks had elapsed was when she specifically said it's been weeks it, it was just very very hard to tell exactly what was transpiring and when it was transpiring how long it was taking etc cetera, etc cetera. the the haircut and then her specifically saying it's been weeks with the only indicator that time has really really been passing there and that was a little frustrating for me at times because i was like okay what's going on and when is it going on it was it was hard to keep up with that and the this is maybe something that's from the book, but I did not feel like the dance between Harry and Hermione was necessary. If there was ever anything to omit from the book, it probably could have been that. <laughs> yeah, it it just it just wasn't something that I was a fan of. It it felt like it was trying to further that that bond, that romance, that kinship that isn't supposed to be there, that's not going to be there. I mean, maybe it was there to foster doubt in the minds of the viewers when Ron was was seeing the the visions while he was trying to destroy the locket i don't know i don't get it it just felt disjointed and i'm not a fan of disjointed because it takes me out of my element it takes me out of my groove a little bit the 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 moments that we have at the malfoy house and dobby's sacrifice kind of brings me back into it at the last possible minute um the the story of the three brothers kind of reels me back in but, you know, we've got a, an action-packed first third, and we've got a, an epic conclusion, and then the middle third is just kind of there. It's just kind of hard to tell exactly what was going on and when it was happening. So I, I do have to knock a little bit off of that. And I was not a fan of this film score, mm. because there, there were times when I couldn't even tell that there was a film score. And... I, I do enjoy subtlety, but there were some sequences where there was literally no music. There was literally no sound. It was just the rustling of the leaves or the the babbling of the brook. And I I just I don't know if that was meant to to emphasize isolation or something like that. Like if I really, really have to read between the lines, then it wasn't doing its job properly, in my mind. So I uh, I got to take a little bit off for that. Not a whole lot because it didn't pull me out of the movie the way the disjointed nature of the camping trip did. But it was something that I noticed. It was something that stood out to me. Um, it's it's something that I hope they do a little bit better job of during you know epic fight scenes and and big moments of truth and character things like that in the second half of this. But overall. I probably enjoyed this as much as I enjoyed Goblet of Fire, which is my highest rated uh, Harry Potter film so far. Goblet of Fire I enjoyed because of the storytelling and the way that it ebbed and flowed, and it had a, a very champion-esque nature to it. it had great characters, um, and this movie had all of that and then some. So um, for very different reasons, Goblet of Fire stands on its own pretty well, I think, and this one is more comprehensive. It's it's definitely one that you have to know the context and know the severity of what's going on previously. Otherwise, you'd get lost. But having that context, having enjoyed all the previous movies and everything that's been leading up to this endgame, 
I'm going to give it a very solid 8.5. Seems fair to me. Seems fair to me. An 8.5 out of 10. And I'm also trying to leave a little bit of room open for part two. Because I know that there's still more in the works. I know that there's still more to come. And I'm trying to keep an open mind and keep an open ranking system, if you will. Just to make sure we can uh, make allowances for if something is better or worse in part two. So, yeah, that's uh, that's my logic. That's my reasons. And I'm sticking to it. Seems fair. Seems fair. Um, but going back to uh, that particular sequence with Hobby, not Hobby, Dobby. Why did I say Hobby? <laughs> I'm thinking I'm thinking of episode five now for, <laughs> for some reason. Hobby, I've been hit. <laughs> Do- Dobby, you still with me? <laughs> I, I Dobby, Dobby is a free X-Wing pilot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be hilarious. Um, geez, now I can't get that out of my head. <laughs> I'm trying to like see how he would reach the controls and look out the window and be able to like accurately fire. <laughs> uh, I, remember, I remember several years ago I saw a Photoshop of uh yoda with dobby's head and a friend of mine shared it with like the comment of like i could just see him with the lightsaber beating himself over the head with it going bad yoda bad yoda bad yoda (laughs) (laughs) yeah that would that would be that would be funny um let's see um dobby not hobby Uh (laughs) dobby um very uh, appropriately so was decided upon as our uh, quote that we wanted to pull from this movie. Um, I, I really don't want to let my words taint it because he's such a, a favorite character of ours and such a favorite character of the franchise. It's probably best if we just let him do the talking. So um, without any other further ado or introduction, I'm just going to give you guys tonight's Quote of the night. Stupid elf! You could have killed me! Dobby never meant to kill. Dobby only meant to maim or seriously injure. How dare you take a witch's wand! How dare you defy your masters! Dobby has no master. Dobby is a free elf. And Dobby has come to save Harry Potter. And his friends. So good. So good. Oh, our 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 fearless hero. Yeah, I love and I, I so love the line. Dobby never meant to kill anyone, merely harm or severely injure, <laughs> or merely maim. <laughs> maim. It's the, it's the use of the word maim. That's so good. Well, and Bellatrix Lestrange is just the kind of character that you want to maim or seriously injure right. anyways. Of course. Like, oh my gosh, Helena Bottom Carter. Perfect casting for a dark character like that. So good, yeah. Excellent. Like, holy smokes. The, I mean, don't get me wrong. The, the, the casting uh, across the board was, was really fantastic. I mean, we didn't mm-hmm. even make mention... Of uh, Domhnall Gleeson's yeah, appearance General in this film. Hux. I mean, General Hux himself showed up in this movie. 
and was uh, engaged to Fleur Delacour. Yeah, he wasn't even a Death Eater. He wasn't even going out there going, and they shall bow before the Death Eaters. You know, he's a good guy in this one. Isn't that crazy? It's almost like he's an actor and can do different things. Right? (laughs) I mean, he was... Okay, uh, I'm going to give a little bit of a hot take here, Mm. and this may go off on a little bit of a bunny trail, but we've got a couple of minutes to kill. Um... I'm of the hot take that Domino Gleason in Ex Machina is better than Domino Gleason in either Harry Potter or Star Wars. Oh yeah. I mean he's so good in Ex Machina. Like in in, mm. in Star Wars, he's almost like in Harry Potter, he ha- he makes like almost no impact. He's given so little screen time. And in Star yeah, Wars true. in Star Wars, he's almost more of a caricature than an actual character, especially in Last Jedi. Um in Force Awakens like I remember sort of watching it going like, why did they cast this guy? I mean, he's good, but there's nothing about him really stands out. He might be like the weakest actor uh, of the main cast. And then you get to that speech that he gives uh, to the first order. I'm like, Oh, that's why they cast him. Cause he can do this really well. Um, yeah. And they haven't. And then he, he wasn't sort of utilized. I, I think he was horrendously utilized in last Jedi, but in ex machina, him and Oscar Isaac are both fantastic and, and their, their sort of game of cat and mouse. I mean, that's such a good movie. I mean, it's excellent, and excellent. It, and what's really sad is the two of them really haven't gotten to build off of that chemistry in the galaxy far, far away yet. Yeah. I mean, their like, their one scene together is the worst moment in all of Star Wars. <laughs> oh, there's another hot take for you. <laughs> oh, I, that, I've been on that train for since since about for about 10 months now like that <laughs> that scene if they took out that scene i think i would have loved the last jedi on opening night maybe not loved it i would have i would have really liked it on opening night see sometimes first impressions are really important and, and yeah. if that's your first impression of a movie like that's the first thing that you're getting at the very beginning you're not going to like the rest of it because it's like tainted. It takes you out of things and then it's hard to get back into it. Well, yeah, I like I was like if you if you go through those opening moments of Last Jedi, like the the I really like the the zoom down to the planet. I like I was excited to see that they brought back Billy Lord. Uh, I yeah. I thought it was, you know, the 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 arrival of the First Order ship um, and then Poe's X-Wing comes in and and BB-8 bleeps at him. I have a bad feeling about this. And he's going, happy beeps, buddy. And Leia comes in over the comm and she's like, I'm with the droid on this one. And I'm like, I'm, I'm watching going, this is good. All right. All right. We're off to a solid start. This is good. Like we're laying some good found, good foundation. And then yeah, I'm holding for general hugs and like all the goodwill just, sh- I had just shattered with that moment. And yeah. uh, it is, I, I like, if I could change one thing about anything in Star Wars, like movies, books, comics, TV shows, it would be to take that scene out because it is it is so bad. And, and I, I could go on a whole tangent about how it, it it's it, it it it's not Star Wars humor. You'll, I've seen people try to make the case that it's no different than uh, Han Solo saying boring conversation. Anyways, it's completely different. Uh, and it 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 takes Hux, who was a scary bad guy, and turns him into a joke, which is fine if you do it at the end of the movie. If you do it at the beginning, there's no threat. Um, and it's just, uh, it's just so bad. It's so bad. And and there's good, so much good humor in that movie, good Star Wars humor in that movie 
that even happens in the same sequence. Like BB-8 is really like I has some funny moments in there. I, I, I maybe maybe this is just me, but I crack up every time he slams his head into the side of the thing. I'm like, ah, that's good. That's a cl- classic moment. I don't know how that works scientifically, but I don't care. Uh, and, and there's some other really <laughs> there's some other really good Star Wars humor moments in Last Jedi. Even Hux being thrown aside is a little bit more. I'm a little bit more okay with during the like the Battle of Crate there. But that scene, oh, it makes my blood boil. I, I joke that I ha- to watch that to watch Last Jedi, I have to go clever my eyes and ears and go la 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 through that scene uh, to enjoy it because it's so. Oh, again, I like Last Jedi. I, I've come, to, I've learned to like that movie. I've learned to love that movie. But that scene still just ugh, that's my hot take. Yeah, pretty hot one it is too. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But back to X Machina. Um, back to X Machina. Excellent movie. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, okay, so here's the deal. I have have kind of been out of the loop as far as good movies are concerned mm-hmm. for quite some time. Mm-hmm. And I've been kind of getting back into the swing of things and trying to get caught up. Uh and X Machina was one of the ones that I was trying to get caught up on. I've got a total of 241 movies in my library. Oh my god. <laughs> 241 and growing. Um and here's here's the weird thing. Um Infinity War. Mm. When Infinity War came out on disc, I was saving that to be number 200. Mm. So since Infinity War release on disc, I have purchased 41 other movies. Oh my god. That right. wasn't, that wasn't that, that long ago. <laughs> I know that's that's the weird thing is it doesn't even feel like that's what I've done, but apparently it is. Um, but some of it is like zombies, you know, <laughs> like like I yeah. got that on DVD because apparently some dumbass took it off of Netflix. Ugh. And now I can't watch it whenever I does want it. Except come... Now that I have it on disc, I do have it whenever does, I want. Does it come with director's commentary? Uh, I actually haven't watched it because Ugh. that would mean I'd have to see it for the third or fourth time but but it, but it is there i think so it it might be see it would be worth yeah. i think it would be worth it to watch it again just to listen to somebody try to explain that movie <laughs> yeah please try and, and do something to explain this away but i it's it's going to be almost impossible to do um but i've been getting caught up on the fox x-men movies mm. i've been getting caught up on things like the shape of water. And then there's some, some other ones out there that are maybe like cult classics that, um, some are really, really into and some really, really aren't. And ex machina was one of them. And, uh, it's, I, I found it fascinating how isolated it was because you're forced to build chemistry between these different characters. They're forced to interact. They're forced to build off of each other. They're forced to learn from one another. And, then when there's some sort of a twist or a surprise, it's a lot more impactful to watch their reactions to those scenarios, to those situations. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it, Oscar Isaac reminded me of somebody else, actually. Like, uh, he didn't even look like Oscar no, Isaac, yeah. to be completely honest. And then Domino Gleason playing off of him the way that he did, like, those two guys... I, I don't know what kind of awards they did or did not win, but I felt like they definitely deserved 
a lot more recognition than they got for that movie. It was stellar. It was very good. It was very, very good. They won the Oscar for Best Visual Effects. I remember that because it was up against Force Awakens and Mad Max, and everybody was like, well, let's go into either For Force Awakens or Mad Mad Max. And then it was like, Ex Machina, huh? Because I guess those those other guys split the vote. Um but yeah, it's a, a very, very good movie. Well, here's another one to potentially add to your list. I don't know if you've seen this yet. I just watched it recently. Uh, it's called Annihilation. Have you seen that one? Annihilation. Is that the one with Natalie Portman yes. and Oscar Isaac? Yes. See, I saw the previews for that. And then I was like, uh, I don't really know if I want to see... Poe Dameron making out with Padme Amidala. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that part is a little bit strange. Um, for, just as a Star Wars fan, but but yeah, it's um, that that only happens at the beginning. The rest of the movie, just it 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 just what struck me about it is it's it's a good story, uh, good characters, uh, all that, uh, a, a creative concept, but it's it visually was very different from a lot of sci-fi movies that we've seen. Really? Yeah, like a lot of sci-fi movies, they tend to be very, they either tend to be very sterile. Like I, I would put Ex Machina in that category because like they're in Oscar Isaac's compound there for the whole movie, right. which was cool. Like I'm, I'm not, this isn't a diss at any movie, but it's just sort of, these are, these are the ways they tend to make them. They're very sterile or they go for that sort of Blade Runner-esque um future where everything is grimy and dirty and like you know as, as soon as blade runner 2049 was in the it was in the works 2049 or 2047 i don't know it doesn't matter 49 49 okay uh was was in the was in the works he all of a sudden started seeing all these other movies that kind of had that same look of this like future that's grimy and dirty and there's billboards everywhere promoting who knows what um but annihilation is very beautiful and I don't mean that like, you know, like Blade Runner is very beautiful in the way that it's shot. Same with Ex Machina. Like they're, they, they, they take these sort of gross or sterile locations and make them beautiful. But Annihilation is just beautiful. Like they're in the, the concept of the, the movie is that there's this this sort of there's been this uh, they, they, they don't even really explain it. But there's a shimmer. There's this thing they call the shimmer. And it's basically like a big bubble. Uh, of like alien something that's shown up and it's expanding and so uh natalie portman natalie portman's part of a a crew that goes in there to to explore it and inside is just you see all of the all the sort of different plants and and animals that they're they're combining their their DNAs are being mixed in ways that wouldn't be possible otherwise, and so there's all of these shots of 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 the uh, the plants and the flowers and all this stuff, and it's very beautiful. It just it looked so different from how we from what we typically associate with sci-fi movies, and uh, like I said, great story, great acting, all that, but it's also just got such a different look from what you typically expect that I, 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 that really sort of stood out to me as much as the story, which is, which is rare for me. Usually I, I care more about the story than the, than the, you know, the visual like that. Or I think the, the, uh, you know, um, and, and uh, I, 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 as, as I understand it, it's like part one of three, like it's based on a book and there were three books and it doesn't look like they're going to make the sequels just cause it didn't do super well at the box office. But uh, that's going to be a missed opportunity if they don't follow up on it. But I, I would, I would recommend that one, um, even even if you have to get past uh, Poe and and Padme, uh, 
and having a couple of moments together. Yeah, I mean, so I'm interested in story, but visuals have to be able to back it up. Too, of course, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, 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 uh, you could. The premise of Zombies was good, <laughs> but the visuals were not. And yeah. so, I mean, you, you've you've got to have like that that equilibrium of of yeah. all those different factors in order for it to be a, a pleasing experience. And everything that you've described sounds really cool. Mm-hmm. It sounds really great, but I may. I may find alternative means to take a look at it before I decide sure. if I'm gonna I, if you if you wa- if, if I'm gonna get the disc or not. You know, it, it's it's probably still it, it's on Netflix here at the very least. I think it's it might wind up on Netflix. if you still have Netflix. It, it may well be available there for streaming. Oh, I still I still have Netflix. I yeah. just finished watching Daredevil season three. Oh well, perfect. So so you may be able to to find it. Um, to, to oh, find it I'm there. taking a look right now. I'm popping up the app as we speak just to see what's there. Uh, by the way, for those of you listening, if you're interested in hearing thoughts on Daredevil Season 3, we're about to publish an episode of RIPC in which we discuss it in uh, pretty solid detail. Get to hear some thoughts on uh, on what we made of that particular season. It's it's going to be really fun. We're actually trying out a new platform as well, just to see if it'll, if it'll go well for us. Let me see. There's a show called Extinction, and uh, Ex Machina is on there. The Cloverfield Paradox, Patton Oswalt's comedy special called Annihilation is on here. <laughs> I, I don't think that's what you're looking for. Not quite. Um, it's giving me options like Black Mirror, Altered Carbon, and The Office. Mm. So I'm gonna. I don't I, know. I'm gonna say. It's I don't. Probably... I don't know. I don't know how I can type in Annihilation and it gives me the option of The Office, like. Is the office just an option for anything that you give a search for? Pretty much, pretty much. <laughs> I don't. They're, they're just like we know this is what you're going to end up watching anyways. So just watch. Might it. as well. That was that was my phone ringtone for a while, but then I switched it over to the theme song from Friends. I'm shocked. I am shocked. Yeah, that I know. You would, I know, right? You would make that switch. I know, right? Can't believe uh, it. I mean, part of it is because that show's a little tainted now because of a certain breakup that happened. So, um, the the person that I was with was a lot more interested in the show than I was, mm. and I watched it more or less for their sake, so that we could watch it together. And now that we're not together, I have no motivation to watch it anymore. Mm. So, fair enough. It is. It is what it is. Shit happens. Uh, oh. Crap. Now I gotta tell Ben when that happened. <laughs> uh what is it the two fifteen mark? Okay. About that. I, I gotta I gotta make note of that. But uh you know, it's it's just one of those things. And I, I'll probably end up with the entire series on disc anyways, because I've got all of uh the entire series of friends on disc, and I just recently got all seven seasons of Parks and Rec on disc as well. Mm-hmm. And then I've got all seven seasons of Game of Thrones, yes. and I've got um, several seasons of another show. I don't know if you've heard of it, um, but I, I don't know. I've been I've been collecting various stuff for a while now. Two hundred and forty-one movies. What's the show? You, you're like I don't know if you've heard of it, and then just didn't say what it was. Um, I I don't know if I'm bold enough to to say on the air exactly that i've got several seasons of this show because if i could give it away then i would but (laughs) 
nobody wants it, so I'm kind of stuck with it. Maybe maybe uh, one of your listeners will want it. <laughs> I've I've got about three or four seasons of um, <clears throat> uh, Duck Dynasty. Oh. Sh- Um, my defense is, uh, that, that show is set in a town that's about, mm, 150 miles away from where I live. All, if that, all I, all I have to say is I see now why you didn't want to admit to it. <laughs> uh, yeah, pretty much. Um, but also, um, for a while there, it was the only show that my entire family would sit down and watch together. So I kind of put up with it for the sake of watching stuff with the family. Mm, fair enough. But now we watch Frasier and life is so much better. <laughs> nice. But yeah, man, I've, I need help. <laughs> Cause I mean, even if I do end up with annihilation, I still also need to get, um, arrival. Mm, I really, good, really yeah. love the movie arrival. Um, I need to get shoot. What was it? It was a Disney movie. Uh, I can't remember what it was. My Pixar collection isn't complete either, believe it or not. So I still have a whole lot of other movies out there that I need to get, but uh, it all comes down to finances and it comes down to closet space or or shelf space. Cause (laughs) I mean, I've been, I've been using a bookshelf and you've seen that bookshelf Yeah, when you, when you came to visit back in, back in December, uh, it's almost completely full and I'm using like the top shelf now to, to harbor, uh, other seasons of TV shows up on the top shelf now. So uh, eventually I'm just going to run out of space and I'm not going to have enough room to keep up with all the rest of these movies. So I'm going to have to put them in one of those portfolio things. <laughs> like when you, do you remember, do you remember those three ring binders that had like CD sleeves and yep. you had like, you were like really, really cool. If you had like 10 pages of CD sleeves, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I, I remember like, them. Yeah. Is like super two thousands, but I might have Very to like start much. a scrapbook in order to keep all of my movies together. But that's uh, that's not something that I really want to think about just yet. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. Um, so I mean, we we've gone on a couple of different tangents here, um, just because Ben had to step away for a little bit, and we've got another piece of content that uh, that we really really wanted to do with him present. So uh, we're gonna. Ooh, did I hear a dingling? Is somebody back? Oh, he's back. Wow. Ask and ye shall receive. <laughs> Holy crap. That was like perfect a, timing. That was amazing. It's like I heard you or something. <laughs> I, yeah, like, okay, stalker. Jeez, <laughs> um, Louise. Okay. Yeah, um, guys, I stepped out for a second. I guess you noticed. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we I were think, trying to kill time. I think and, we should have just. I think we should have just pretended or continued to pretend that Ben wasn't. That Ben was just here, but we were just having a complete a conversation completely separate from him. Like Ben, you can't talk about these things with us. You're not qualified yeah, to talk about. You're it not. You're us. not qualified to talk about Ex Machina, Annihilation, or for reasons that are would be completely and utterly inexplicable. The Last Jedi. <laughs> so, <laughs> well. Two of those three I have not seen, so mm. Mm. well, uh, one of those one of those three I have not seen, and uh, the other one of those three I've only seen like four or five times, so mm. I don't know if I'm super qualified anymore either. Who is qualified? Seriously, nobody's qualified. Nobody's qualified to talk about anything. 
Anyways, fun thing. Let's move on to the fun thing. Yeah, we got we got some really fun stuff for you guys tonight, actually. Um, if you recall our previous uh, adventure into the Wizarding World, we decided that we were just going to have some fun with, uh, with the quote of the night, and it's turned into kind of a Harry Potter, Dominic Jones, IPC tradition now. And... Uh, <laughs> This this is this is one tradition that I'm I'm particularly a fan of because yeah, me too. we we just kind of randomly started talking about like what books we both had and if we wanted to try and quote something from it and it turns out that Dominic and I both had copies of of Ian Dosher's Verily a New Hope which is <laughs> Star Wars uh, in Shakespearean form and we've sent Ben some copies of this particular scene that we're doing and we've divvied up the different roles yeah. Um, Help me pirate this book. I know, I Yar. know who I am. I'm Luke. I'm the chorus, and I'm Trooper Seven in this particular sequence. Uh, Dominic, who are you for I, this particular segment? I will be playing Princess Leia and C-3PO. And uh, then Ben, who have you got for this little who adventure? Do I have. Remind me. Oh, Ben is Han Solo, R2D2, and Chewbacca. We've really given Ben the complicated parts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, of course. Um, all right. So, um, what we're gonna do is uh, we're gonna do Act Act Four, Scene Four. Uh, it takes place inside the Death Star, and uh, you may know it as the trash compactor scene. So, I'll I'll also read like the stage directions. I'll I'll just take that, and then uh, and then we'll we'll so we'll, let's get started. So. Scene four, inside the Death Star. Enter Han Solo and Chewbacca with stormtroopers entering and Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia aside. The chorus says, With hearty blast, the Imperial troops appear. Their coming doth require that Han retreat. In moment dangerous, amidst great fear, where Han and Leia for the first time meet. And Han Solo adds, well, you, Our you... exit's blocked now. Yeah, you don't have to say who your character is every time. Hopefully, people will be able to to gather. Um, but since okay. since you guys have both done it for the for your first go around, Princess Leia says, "With a fool's great skill, hast thou our route to freedom quite cut off?" Mayhap, you, thy highness, would prefer to herself. C three PO, canst thou by any means discover how we may the cell block leave? Our entry point is now a deadly end. All to thy presence have have alerted been. The entrance only takes in, only only takes one in or out. All other information where thou art hath been restricted. Now we are quite trapped. I cannot hold them back forever. Sure, tis quite a res- rescue thou hast planned for me. Thou hast come in, but how shalt thou go out? Shalt shalt thou go out? Hath folly been thy guide? He hath the plan, not I, thou sweetheart of ingratitude. <laughs> Leia takes Luke's blaster and shoots a hole in the wall. That's still you, Han. Oh, it is? Yeah. Wait. wait. By what? Uh, it, at the top of page 117, wait. by what dark spite? Oh, that says Leia. No, that's that's Han. That's a state. That's a stage direction. Yeah. Oh, okay. But it's okay. but it's a continuation of, yeah. of of Han's line after she takes the blaster. Yeah. By what dark sprite of hell thou art possessed? It it falls to me to make our 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 rescue good. Now follow me into the refuse heap. 
Princess Leia exits into the chute. Go thou hence. You're also Chewbacca. Oh, oh that's that's me. <laughs> <laughs> that was the most pathetic art you I ever. <laughs> All right, Han. Oh, damn. Um, <laughs> that's not a line. All right, Pete. I'm, I'm going to get back and get the character. Get in, thou furry lump. I care not what thou smelt within, unless tis death must be sweeter. Then smell then his attack. Now get, now go, but be not afeared by my friend. Man, these are tongue twisters. Yeah. Chewbacca, <laughs> Chewbacca exits into the chute. Then to Luke, Han says... I I say what charming girl that here hast found either I either shall destroy her or perhaps I may in time begin to like the winch <laughs> Luke going aside to the audience says nay executioner or lover both are far too great a role for thee to play now go and Follow I, all else be damned. Exit Luke and Han Solo into the chute. The scene doth shift unto the refuse space, where all is wrought as like a funeral pyre. Though safe our heroes other woes now face, they go from frying pan unto the fire. Enter Han Solo, Chewbacca, and Princess Leia in garbage pile at the bottom of the chute. Oh! What wonder of the human mind hath thought to bring us here. You notice where I turn the page. <laughs> yeah. Bring us, hath thought to bring us here. Your highness must be lauded greatly for discovering such a wondrous smell to as this. I'll blast the door. Swift, get thee hence. Nay, prithee, shoot thou not. Han shoots the blast, uh, shoots and the blast ricochets. Thou arrogant knave, wouldst thou undo us all? I have already tried to exit thus, but lo, as thou now plainly seest, thou brute, the passageway is sealed magnetically. Now rid us of the bla- of that blaster quickly too, else shine thine edgy trigger finger me and uh, the certain death of all of us he- all of us herein. Oy, ay, that thy worship, ha! Twas all in my control till thou didst list lead us to this. Nor shall the stormtroopers need in any time to calculate where all of us have flown. And yet I say to you, it could have been worse. A loud sound is heard. Tis worse. I'll warrant something lives in here. I s- I expect his word is true, but fear to say. Tis but thy keen imagination, Luke. Twas not just my imagination that hath now swum boldly past my leg, or else imagination now hath body too. I there did thine eyes see? Did but a mere imagined figment just swim by? See what? Luke is pulled into the water by an unseen force. Yet ere young Luke with answer can respond, he's pulled unto the watery depths below. For several moments in that garbage pond, no sign is seen beneath the murky flow. An ominous sound breaks forth into the pit, 
And seconds later, Luke emerges, spent. The beast's pursuit of him for now is quit. A greater challenge doth this represent. Luke rises above the, sur- uh, the surface. Oh, miracle that thou art truly saved. What happened there below the brinny sludge? I tr- I'm trying to do like a Leia voice because I wasn't doing it before, but now I don't know if I can do it. Keep going, Luke. <laughs> I do not know. The slimy creature hath released its vice-like grip on me and fled. Another sound is heard. I have a bad, I have a feeling bad about this sound. The walls begin to contract. The walls, oh horrid fate, begin to move. But not afraid, be not afraid, and stand thou uh, in, in awe, but rouse thee now and halt its sure approach. Now lend me thy assistance. But wait, I have a comlink and may hail the droids. C-3PO, say, art thou there? Pray speak. But while he tries to hail the golden droid, C-3PO hath troubles of his own. For stormtroopers are to their room deployed, and now the droids must save themselves alone. Enter C-3PO and R2-D2 aside with stormtroopers. Oh, grant us help, for there are madmen here who have who have in now to the... The prison level gone. If thou, if thou but hurry, thou mayst still catch them there. Well said, my friend. He hath a merry wit when pride and scorn fall not from it out his mouth. Aye, prithee, fellows. Come and follow me. Exit stormtroopers. Uh. 3PO! Now climb on top! In faith, I try. Where is the knave? C-3PO! I fear wicked fates befallen them. Pray, R2, see if they have imprisoned... See if they imprisoned are. Now search space. Oh, search a pace. There, sorry. Beep, squeak, meep, whistle, beep. (laughs) Your enthusiasm, Ben, is just overwhelming. It's it's awe-inspiring. Acting, acting! One thing is certain, we shall be, we shall thinner be. I shall not lose my wit in, in death's face. Beep, beep. <laughs> they are not found. Oh, great relief. Where may they be? Squeak. Use the comlink? Oh, I'd forgotten quite. They turned and turned it off. Pray, art thou, art thou there, sir? 3PO? Tis thou? I will confess, we have had some problems faced. Peace, 3PO! Lend ears and not thy voice! Disarm thou every refuse masher on detention levels! Dost thou mark me, droid? Be rapid, else thy master is no more! Nay, shut them all down! Hurry, R2, go! Beep, squeak, meep, whistle, boo, hoo. <laughs> ah! Oh! Ah! Ah! No heart within this golden breast doth beat, for only wires and circuit boards are there. Yet as I hear my master's dying screams, no heart is necessary for my grief. A droid hath sadness and hopes and fears, and each of those emotions have I felt. Since Master Luke appeared and made me the, made me his, no master have I ever respected so. Thus at this moment, grave I do declare, there is no etiquette for shedding tears. No protocol can e'er exp- express my woe. A plague on 3PO for action slow. A plague upon my quest that had led us here. A plague on both of our circuits, our boards, I say. 
Nay, nay, fear not, dear droid. We all still live. Pray open thou the door on maintenance hatch. Three, two, six, eight, two, seven. Blessed be. Oh, fondest hope. Oh, fervent prayers. Now heard. My master is alive and plagues deterred. Exit all. Scene five, inside the Death Star. Enter Obi-Wan Kenobi in stealth with two stormtroopers and, po- and power terminal. While Luke and Leia, Han and Chewie flee, old Obi-Wan has reached the power source. He cuts the tractor beam quite cunningly, then makes his exit, drawing on the force. What do these warning te- warnings tell? Shall we explore? Believe this. I believe... I be- I believe, I, believe, I believe that's all, folks. Be liked is just a, dr- a drill and nothing more. Exit. And scene. Well done. Well done. Oh, see, I done. Like, I don't know well, but done. <laughs> I like being the chorus. I actually got into a groove when I was doing those chorus lines. I was like, ooh, I can be really dramatic with this. Yeah. It was, it was pretty fun. Yeah, I, I had a hard time embodying the role of, of uh, Princess Leia Organa. But for whatever reason, 3, <laughs> 3PO really spoke not to me, but through me, I think. I knew that was coming. <laughs> How did I know that was coming? And Ben, I, I think your performance as R2-D2 would give uh, all the best droid builders a run for their money. <laughs> Beep, boop, heep, yeah, I'm, I'm gunning for an Oscar there. <laughs> well, it's it's Shakespeare, so really you'd be gunning for a Tony. Or a BAFTA. Oh, or either a BAFTA. one, I don't care. Or a BAFTA. How great would it be to win a BAFTA? How about all of them? How about all of them? <laughs> you know what it would probably be good for? You could probably win a Dundee for that performance. You probably could win a Dundee. (laughs) (laughs) Or a Razzie. (laughs) (laughs) Or we just come up with a new category. One of our one one that one that we've made up ourselves. A a, a shaky. (laughs) Um um, This award is shaky. Uh, just sounds a little too much like shake weight for my comfort. Mm, fair enough. Fair enough. Mm, a speary? I don't. A speary. Ooh, I like that. Speary. Ooh. It, it's 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 to the point, like a spear. I uh, <laughs> was that was a good one. I like that one. <laughs> to the point. <laughs> To the point, it resembles Shakespeare because it's the very end of it. But it also sounds like a, a sorbet flavor or something. Like I don't know, like I don't some know. some kind of dessert or a treat. What flavor would you like? I'll have spirit flavored things. <laughs> it does kind of got that. Does it does kind of got that? That's not how words work. <laughs> well, that I actually is an opportunity tonight because you know, you know, I, I'm famous for Rachel, so I really should have done Leia. Yeah, we really should have. I was gonna say before we started, but you know what? It's it's good that everybody gets a chance to just a chance to try. And there's like there's the rest of this book because we've done like three scenes, and then there's seven other of them. So. <laughs> This could turn into its own show if we really wanted it It to. It really could, yeah. And And see, this would be way more fun with, like, 
20 people <laughs> doing different doing all the roles like each person having a character okay so when we assemble the next time we assemble we bring a couple of copies of this book or the force awakens or something like that and we read from it live one night mm. just for the hell of it and every time here here's here's the thing every three times somebody slips up you take a shot <laughs> i like it I like it. It would be good. Oh, it's gonna get it's gonna but get if, so if, crazy. If, if we're do, if, but if we're doing that, I think we should agree that the 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 film we should or the the play I think we should be reciting is the Phantom Menace. I'd be down. Yes, yes. I totally. I, agree. I wanted to see somebody as drunk Watto. Drunk, <laughs> drunk, drunk. Watto's already she, drunk. What are you talking drunk about? Drunk Shakespearean yeah. Watto. Yeah. That's what I want to hear. <laughs> Oh man. Okay. Well, going off of off of the idea of different flavors of Speary, there's like a, a certain flavoric element that we still need to uh, discuss this evening. But before we do, I uh, just want to give a quick shout out and a thank you to the patrons of this program: Joey Mays, Katie Horn, Jake Damon, Rachel Perry, Dan Grievous, and Parker Ott. You guys are what keep us going. You guys are what pay for our uh, Podbean hosting site, ipcpodcast.podbean.com. And if you want to become a patron and get a whole lot of really awesome exclusives like these guys have, then go to patron.podbean.com slash ipcpodcast to find out all the awesome stuff that we have currently available and the stuff we got down the pipe. But you don't have to be a sponsor to go and support this podcast. If you want to do just a one-time contribution, you can get some really awesome merchandise at tpublic.com slash user slash IPC podcast. We've got shirts, we've got hoodies, we've got stickers, coffee mugs, notebooks, and a whole lot more. So go check that out as well. I promise it'll be worth it because about 22% of whatever you put into that swag comes right back to IPC. All right. Okay, well, I got that contractually obligated stuff out of the way. Now let's do the stuff that we want to do. Ladies and gents, get out your hashtags. If you're listening live, which probably like all two of you are, then go ahead and put it in the chat. If you're not, then use it on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and everything else that might carry a hashtag, because it is time. One more time for hashtag BBQ Watch. Barbecue. Barbecue. Okay, so... This may be something that we have talked about on the show before, but it's it's been a while. And uh, if, if it is something that we've covered before, I don't know. It probably is. Because when you've done 200 episodes of a show and you've got a barbecue-related segment every episode, sometimes things kind of cross over a little bit. But we were, when we were talking about sorbets, it just kind of reminded me of how important the dessert element is for any meal, really. I mean, dessert is probably one of the best parts of the day, period. But uh, what I'm what I'm curious to hear from you guys, it's kind of a two-folded question. Number one, do you think there will ever be a strictly 
barbecue flavored dessert? And if so, what would it be? Would it be a sorbet or an ice cream or would it be something warm? What have you? Number two, if not, then what dessert best goes with barbecue? Debate. I don't have an answer for either of those, but I can tell you that I once had a cake that was cooked on a barbecue. Really? How did that work? Um, the the oven was broken, so we put <laughs> put the cake on the barbecue and, and kind of baked it that way, and it was it was good. It was surprisingly good. It worked. I don't I don't I don't know how it worked. I just know that it happened and it worked and it was good. So we had barbecued cake. So I guess my answer is cake. <laughs> to yeah, that's, that's either the first question. thing that kind of pops into your mind is like, oh well, cake with barbecue sauce on it, maybe. But let's, like, let's be what honest. if it was smoked? Let's be honest. Barbecue sauce is basically dessert. Like, it's just so sweet, and you know, especially certain kinds of barbecue sauce. Yeah. So, like a a cake with barbecue icing, honestly, isn't that far off from cake with regular icing or food with barbecue sauce. So I, I kind of, I'm kind of leading that way. Yeah, you're right. It, it can be pretty rich. That's for sure. Um, I'd be curious to see what other elements are included in that, because I think you could probably integrate a little bit of cinnamon to kind of help tie it in. Because honestly, barbecue sauce is very either vinegar based or ketchup based or something like that. And so you've got to have some kind of counterbalance in order to integrate it with the sweet, Mm. but it's totally doable. I agree. It's totally doable and it's not that far off why it hasn't been done yet. I'm not sure. There's probably reasons. Maybe somebody's experimented with it with like a barbecue sauce flavored icing or something like that. And it just didn't go well. Mm. I will say there, there have been soda themed cakes that have gone rather well my dad makes a chocolate buttermilk cake that instead of uh using uh completely like like everything in the in the ingredients list calling for something like water or um or buttermilk he integrates a little bit of coca-cola in there instead as the liquid and it turns out really really good and then there's one that uh, that is somewhere local around here because I think we've got a Dr Pepper plant nearby, and some of the stuff that they sell from like their gift shop is a uh, ready made like a like a prepackaged cake that has elements of Dr Pepper in it, like the syrup or something, and when you finish it, it ends up tasting a bit like Dr Pepper. So I don't see why you can't have something like that that is like barbecue infused into the cake. I think that's totally possible. Uh, But for me personally, I'm going to go with a classic standby. It just kind of fills in the gaps and then all the little holes that are left uh, behind from when you're finished eating a a, a hearty plate. Uh, Vanilla ice cream. It's a classic. It's a staple. And it's my favorite. And now I'm craving some. Yeah. Luckily, to, I've got some in my freezer. To to quote but, the to quote the bare naked ladies, I like vanilla. It's the finest of the flavors. That's very true. It's true. It's the best. It's very true. Like I can't imagine having, uh, I can't imagine having chocolate or or swirl 
yeah. after having barbecue, but vanilla, I can I can imagine. I can't imagine so, having. I here I love chocolate like more than most things, but I cannot stand chocolate ice cream. Really, really, like chocolate, like ninety nine percent of things I think are improved with chocolate. Ice cream's not one of them. Doesn't do it for me. Interesting. I can Interesting. Understand. I mean, I am. Uh, I, I'm. I'm privileged and lucky to live in a region that distributes Bluebell ice cream. So I, uh, I, I have a little bit of a different perspective because I'm just a big fan of Bluebell. Uh, it's one. It's one of the things that I regret not sharing with you guys when you came to visit the Dallas area. It is quite well, possibly. You- didn't, My favorite dessert of all time. Didn't we buy ice cream and we were going to do something with it and we just wound up like eating too much other stuff instead? <laughs> uh, were we going to make the the adult frosted lemonades? Is that what I was going to do for you guys? I think it's either that or like root beer floats or something, which, by the way, both of those things would have been completely wasted on me. <laughs> I'd just be like, nah, I want a beer and ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> Well, they make adult root beer now, which is actually pretty tasty. Mm. So not not your father's and and uh, best damn root beer. Couple of couple of solid choices, and they're really good in floats. Also, oh, by the way, Zach, you would be proud of me. I got to explain what Whataburger is to somebody. Really? Yeah. Oh, do tell. This is oh, food related. So I I was watching. I I I, I sent uh, I, I sent my dad a clip from uh. Uh, the most recent, it was the most recent. I guess it won't be by the time people hear this, uh, but one of the most recent episodes of Pod Save America, their HBO special, and they were inter- mm-hmm. they were interviewing uh, Texas uh, Senate candidate Beto O'Rourke, and he referenced oh, that they okay. were eating a ton of Whataburger on the campaign trail, and my oh, dad was okay. like, "Like that's an interesting interview, but what's a what's a Whataburger?" <laughs> oh then, no! I'm like, let me explain you something, Dad. Um, <laughs> let me explain. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so yeah, I, I we me and my parents went to Whataburger just a few weeks ago, and then I instinctively called back to what you I think what you coined Dominic as the dumbest conversation oh, we've so ever had. Dumbest conversation. We is, spent five minutes on this. Like five minutes, we'll never get back. <laughs> but so many people go Whataburger. I'm like, no. No, what are you talking about? Like, that's not it at all. Like, it's not. There's no. There's no debate here. Yeah. I mean, again, I'm a little tainted. I'm a little biased because uh, last year I actually got to visit the very first Whataburger down in Corpus Christi, Texas, mm. and that of one. Of course, you know which is, one that is. <laughs> it's a it's a two story Whataburger. And of course, it is. I. I ate on the second story overlooking Corpus Christi Bay, and it was amazing. Of course it was. <laughs> it, it was fan-flippantastic. I loved every minute of it. It was probably the most Texan thing I'd done that entire year. It was phenomenal. That's extremely nice. Texan. Nice. Well, I mean, it's also extremely Texan to get out of class one day, decide that you're craving something for lunch, and in the middle of a deluge, just pouring rain, sheets of rain, you decide what you're craving for lunch that day is barbecue. And I braved the deluge and went through like this little ditch that led up to my favorite barbecue place and 
it didn't have a drive through so I actually had to get out of my car and go inside through the elements. And I sat there and I waited for a uh, barbecue baked potato and a sliced brisket sandwich from Spring Creek Barbecue. And then I took it home. And that's the barbecue remains that are still on my desk this evening. Then I'm going to have to clean up after this show is over. But I digress just a little bit. It's getting late. So uh, I'm, I'm going to stop with the talking now and, and defer it over to you, Dominic. Uh, thank you again for spending nearly three hours with a couple of crazy wackadoos who are just now getting into the Harry Potter universe. <laughs> if people want to hear more of your Harry Potter thoughts or Star Wars thoughts or just thoughts in general, how can they do so? Uh, you can catch me every week on the Star Wars Underworld podcast talking about Star Wars. I can find that by going to StarWarsUnderworld.com or by searching for it in iTunes and Google Play. You can also catch me on the Cast, which is uh, a show about Star Wars Resistance, the animated series that's on right now. Uh, those are a lot of fun. Ben will frequently be on that show, I'm sure. Uh, and again, one day, one day, some, someday you'll be on uh, I, with uh, again, you can find that Star Wars It's also got its own iTunes feed now, which is nice. Uh, and then you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the SWU. No, wait, that's not me. That's the sh- that, that's, 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 the, that's the podcast. <laughs> I'm at Dominic J 25. That's what that's who I am. I also use the at the SWU account sometimes, but more frequently I use my at Dominic J 25 account. I just got like, I just got into like promotional mode. I'm like, you can follow us at the social medias by going, is that the SW? I'm like, this yep. is the end well, of the show. This is where you plug things. So, well, that, I mean, I'm, me. I'm about to do the same thing for us, but before I do that, Ben, how can the folks at home find you on the interwebs? Well, they can pretty much do everything that Dominic just said. Plus follow me at uh bit heart with no E on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and maybe a few other places. I'm not sure. I try to brand myself as best as possible, but you know, you know how it goes. I do know how it goes because I'm working on branding uh, this particular podcast and our little offshoot program, RIPC, trying to get that off the ground. I mentioned that a little while ago while you were away. Uh, cool. We've got a Daredevil Season 3 discussion down the pipe that's going to be published in the next few Makes days. Start so that the- show in a matter of hours. <laughs> yeah, it's it's going to be... Woo! It's going to be a good time. Uh, but yeah, in the meantime, you can go follow us on all the social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at IPC Podcast. Uh, you can find us on iTunes and Google Play and also on our host site, ipcpodcast.podbean.com. That's pod as in podcast, bean like green bean, podbean.com. Jeez. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Zach underscore DFWZAC. And uh, let's see, you can also find certain episodes on StarWarsUnderworld.com, as well as that being your place for news, rumors, release dates, and other updates and information from the galaxy far, far away. So be sure to check that out as well. I'm all talked out, guys. I I really am. We we did about three hours of awesome discussion, and we've probably got another three hours ahead of us next week. But in the meantime, I think I'm going to call it a night. Thank you guys, both of you, again for another awesome, awesome episode, and I'm looking forward to next week. Me too. Totally. But that's going to do it for this week's episode of the Intergalactic Peace Coalition podcast. Episode 212 is now officially in the books for Dominic and Ben. My name is Zach. Thank you for tuning in. We hope that you'll tune in next week, but until then, we just want to leave you with this. 
Final thought. Truth can strike down the specter of fear. And the truth is, we hope that you'll join us next week on IPC. But until then, good night, everyone. Just cast it. No.